0: Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the Comic Source, Comic Boom, DC Spotlight. Going over all the books that come out, well, almost all the books that are coming out this week from DC on May 11th. Man, it's May 11th. Lots of books, lots of comics. Where's this year gone? But yeah, Rocky's right, there's a lot of books this week, so I guess we should just dive right in. Nine, ten, ten books, so... In the interest of full disclosure, american vampire nineteen seventy six number eight comes out today. I have never read American Vampire. I started <laughs> reading American Vampire last week from like the very first issue, but you know we're talking like fifty issues on top of all the other stuff, and it just didn't happen i I, I read like the first five, and it, it's okay I, I, it hasn't really hit for me yet, but so many people love it. It's Scott Snyder, Trefail, Albuquerque. And so I, I do want to read it at some point, but I, I was hoping to get to it before we got to the end of the series so I could talk about it, how it all wraps up and it just didn't happen. But it was pretty interesting yeah. to read the first issue or first couple of issues. And in the back, there's a picture of Scott Snyder from, you know, nearly 20 years ago. <laughs> he looks <laughs> yeah. so young and baby, baby
1: faced. Yeah. There's, um, so we're not gonna, yeah a lot we're gonna of history with American vampire. There are a lot of history, a lot of continuity established. Yeah, so we're not going to talk about that.
0: At least I'm not going to talk about that because I haven't read it. No. Um, but maybe at some uh, some future date we'll do a deep dive into uh, American Vampire. So the, of the other nine books that came out, the first one we're going to start with is Future State Gotham. And I never saw anything about this book being in, in black and white. It's written by Joshua Williamson and Dennis Culver. The art is by Giannis Milo Giannis, who we sort of um, – we really kind of raked him over the coals for his artwork in uh, the future state. You know, we talked about uh, red hood looking like Doug from the Nickelodeon cartoons. And honestly, he really (laughs) did. Um, But here's his artwork is presented in black and white. And Rocky and I were talking about it yesterday. It it works so much better as a, as black and white art. But again, I just thought it was kind of strange that it wasn't, I never saw it mentioned anywhere that it was going to be in black and white. The letters are by Troy, uh Petrie there is a a pinup from Mobius as well which obviously Mobius has been dead for decades so that's a sort of a reprinted thing and speaking of reprints there's a there's a backup in here as well that apparently was first released um in Batman Black and White number four back in 1996 it's by Katsuhiro Otomo who is uh the legendary creator of Akira the Akira a comic and uh, I guess I should say manga and anime. And I'm just not sure why it's here, to be honest. It, it almost feels like, well, we didn't give you color, but it's still a 399 book. So we're going to give you this Mobius pinup and we're going to give you this other story that is critically acclaimed. Although I'm not sure why, to be honest with you, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but like they threw some extra stuff in here just to make sure people were complaining. It was only 399 because it was only in black and white, but um i'm curious rocky neither you nor i really cared for the future state gotham red hood story so I, you know both of us were when we heard about this future state gotham title we were both kind of like yeah probably not going to check that out but it's a preview copy it doesn't cost us anything so why not give it a try oh uh, so what did you think
1: uh yeah i I wasn't really a fan of this, you know. Uh, I agree with you that the art—I I, I like the art a little better in black and white, uh, only because it, it's kind of sad. I, I liked it better in black and white for all the wrong reasons, because uh, coloring actually makes the art look worse, and that's not a good thing. Uh, but I mean, it, it's, it's tolerable. But I just don't like the storyline. I, I don't—I don't like the, this future state. Uh, I don't—I wasn't a fan of the storyline to begin with. It's a future—it's a future. Gotham where the magistrate's in charge and this just involves this is a continuation of the future state storyline where Red Hood is he he's working undercover and he basically becomes peacekeeper Red he he gets honorary status as a peacekeeper he gets honorary status and as a result of that he he just ends with him confirming him being undercover working with the with the peacekeepers to essentially take down and hunt the Batman which I, I don't find you know, I don't find exciting at all. I I just I, I don't see the point of this. I I just I I really don't I don't get it. I I don't I'm really not a fan of this. Uh, straight up, I'm not a fan of this. I I don't I I I don't like it. I <laughs> I don't have a lot of nice things to say about it, to be honest. Um but like I said, I, I find it very boring. It 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 just ends with Jason Todd meeting with Nightwing and the other members of the Bat family. And, uh, you know, Future State essentially had him sleeping with uh, Ravager. And now she's taken off. So she's not even in this series now, which she was, at least he was, you know, at least he was getting lucky with Ravager. But he's, she's not even in the series now. Or maybe she'll come back. I'm not really sure what the point of this is. So now in the future, he's hunting Batman. Well, I thought the whole point of this was to, Future State was to tease the future and then let's build, let's build up to it. I, I'm so thoroughly uninterested. This is, this doesn't interest me in the slightest. And to be honest, I feel insulted by the art. And, and I know I'm contradicting myself because I said the art's a little better, but frankly, this feels tacked on. This feels like they never had enough time to color it and that they're, they're throwing it at us because they don't want to waste product. You know what I mean? It feels like it feels like you're in the restaurant, and, and they don't want to make new food, but they have leftovers. So this is the leftovers we get, and they want to fill up space, and they want to you know they want to meet a publishing uh, qu- uh, quantity, and that's what it feels like to me. Uh, f- both in terms of uh, how it looks and in terms of story, and uh, <clears throat> you know sh- you know frankly shame on DC for putting this out straight up. I I'm, I'm- I'll just leave it at that and I'll stop talking because my mom always said if you have nothing nice to say, maybe say as little as possible. So there you go, I'm done.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I sort of agree with you, certainly about the art. Uh, it's one thing to put out a book in, in black and white, right? That's one thing. This doesn't look like art that was meant to be seen in, in black and white, right? It's not – this looks like pencils. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't look inked. It looks very – I mean you want to talk about sketchy um on the title page the missiles that are flying through the air they're not it it's sketched this the these are sketch lines it's not like okay yeah. go over in ink and then get rid of the pencil lines um and if you look at the art you'll you'll know exactly what I'm what I'm talking about it is it is really unfinished and while yes it looks better than his his finished color work um because i think he did his own finishes and colors in in the future state books, if I'm not mistaken, he he needs a proper anchor to go over this and, and to make his art better. And then I think his art could actually be pretty good, but that's not what this looks like. And so like to the point where, when I saw this, I've got the preview copy and I saw it. It's not unheard of to get preview copies that aren't colored, right. To where you're, you're uh, they had to send it out. The the color says behind, they had to make changes, whatever, for whatever reason you get, preview copies that aren't colored, even though the, the final product is colored. So when I saw this, because the art looks so unfinished, I actually did a Google search and I went and looked for a Gotham Future State preview to see <laughs> preview pages in other places to see yeah. if this indeed is supposed to be colored. And maybe maybe it is. Maybe all the preview pages that we're seeing are are this and it wasn't colored yet. And tomorrow when the book actually comes out or today, as you're listening to this um, it'll actually, the art will look better. It'll look finished because this doesn't look good. Um, yeah. It's one thing to be in black and white. It's another thing to look completely unfinished like this does. As far as the story itself. Um, I feel like the only thing that happened is we got a hundred percent confirmation that red hood was indeed working undercover and you know, he's not the, the, the bad guy jerk that he seemed to be in the, this couple parts of the story that we got before. Um, he's trying to destroy the magistrate from the inside out, but to Rocky's point, like I thought we were supposed to be introduced to the future and then build up to it and then may have it not come to pass. Um, so what, yeah, what's the point of this was future state Gotham was future state Batman or future state dark detective selling so well that it warrants this. Um, because th- this is a way to, to put the sales on the toilet pretty quick in terms of the quality of this book. It's just not very good. Um, And I don't, I won't necessarily say that's from a technical standpoint, because I think technically in terms of these being pencils, if, if I look at this just as pencil art, it's pretty good pencil art. If I look at this as finished art, it's not. If I, if I think about this in terms of the pacing and the scripting, the dialogue, you know, the actual words used, it's solid. Um, but the problem is the plot. The problem is the story Uh, to Rocky's point. Who the hell is asking for this? Who wanted more of stories set in that crappy future state timeline? Nobody. So, uh, yeah, I kind of feel like what's the point. It definitely feels tacked on and like a money grab and, and what have you. So, I mean, I might be, I I might be interested enough to read the second issue if I'm reading it uh, as a preview copy, but I would not recommend anybody spend a single penny on this book because um, it's just not worth your your money or your time um, and that that backup story while it has some interesting concepts it doesn't feel finished the art is pretty spectacular and it definitely suits black and white which is another reason that makes me think this whole book was intended to be black and white like I mentioned earlier this story from the Akira creator you showed up in black and white uh, Batman black and white number four from 1996. So if this whole book was meant to be in black and white, why not throw a backup in that was black and white? But the story just ends with Batman choosing to not be Batman anymore, but yet he's still wearing the Batman costume. It just doesn't have the Batman symbol on it because the villain he's facing all along is talking about how there's no reason to limit the number of masks that you wear. So Batman takes that to be, I don't have to be Batman. I don't have to be Bruce Wayne. I can be something else. Let me take the bat symbol off my uh, chest, but I'm still wearing the same costume. And then when he confronts the villain at the end, the villain says, "Oh, there you are, Batman." And he responds, "I'm not Batman," as opposed to the classic line of "I'm Batman." But what's again? I feel like wh- what's the po- what's, so what's the point? What are you trying to say? <clears> the <throat> Bruce Wayne doesn't have to be Batman. Why? Why? I just I don't get it. It yeah. The art is spectacular in it. That's what I'll say. But it's certainly not – don't go spending $4 just to see this art from a reprinted story from 1996. That's what I'll say.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, I, I agree with you. It's, this, this whole issue is just it, – it's just not worth it. It was a, it was a disappointment uh, across the board, quite frankly. Yeah. Yep,
0: agreed. So, <laughs> uh, well, let's move on. The next book we're going to talk about is Justice League Last Ride Number 1. And this is from writer Chip Zdarsky. We have art by Miguel Mondoca. Colors are by Enrica Angiolini. Letters by Anne Rule Design. And this is sort of like supposed to be the last Justice League story, I guess. Um, There's uh, the main covers by Derek Robertson, which is okay. um, But the variant cover by Miguel Mondoca is really, really spectacular. I think it's the better of the two. Uh, But anyway, it's Chip Zdarsky on... On Justice League, so I'm I have high expectations. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Rocky, but what did you think when you read it?
1: Uh, I, I thought I, I thought it was uh, it was good. You know, I mean, it wasn't it didn't blow me away or nothing, but I, I like what one thing I like about Chip Sardaski is he's, he's not afraid to dive into his own particular interpretation of the characters. It's clear to me that Sardaski he he does uh just like when he in the in the red hood story in 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 Batman Urban Legends Sardaski has a specific he has a specific character interpretation of the of these characters and he establishes what that is and he he does it very well in this opening issue just as he did with Red Hood in Batman Urban Legends and continues to do so there uh you know you th- this is a Superman and Batman that aren't getting along if if this this is Justice League Last Ride and if this is the Justice League story, it's established in story as to why this might indeed be the last Justice League story. Because, in fact, this involves a scenario where something happened in the future where Batman uh, Batman made a decision that it got Martian Manhunter killed. And uh, Superman hasn't really gotten over that and blames Batman for making the decision that got Martian Manhunter killed. And Batman's angry at Superman for never making a decision. <laughs> which makes sense. Batman's always the one who has to make the decision because Superman's always often a little bit more indecisive. Batman's Batman is the guy who, who gives the orders and everyone else follows them. Superman resents that, but I think deep down Superman knows that he, in many ways, I think Superman doesn't, isn't he, he's not as good as Batman is making that call, but Batman's like the general in many ways, and he, he makes the call and the league follows, and there's some resentment there between Batman and Superman, and that, and that, that's, that's carried forward in the narrative. And Wonder Woman's frustrated with both of them. Flash is just somebody who likes to eat a lot of food. <laughs> I, I think it's Barry Allen Flash. Although maybe it's Wally West. I, but I'm not really sure which Flash it is. Uh, I, I can't remember if he was called Wally or Barry in the narrative. But uh, when Hal Jordan shows up, uh, they, they have to protect Lobo. Lobo it was responsible for apparently killing all the new gods and he's going to be put on trial by the United Planets. Hal Jordan, who's one of the few remaining Green Lanterns, he wants to establish new OA on the moon, uh, on Earth's moon. And if they do that, then they can retire the Justice League and have the Justice League and have the Green Lantern Corps not only have a headquarters for new OA, but also be essentially the de facto Justice League for Earth. And that's really where... So this entire issue essentially sets that up and I think it sets it up. Uh, it sets it up fairly well. I think it does a really good job. Sorry about that. I'm jumping ahead, but I'm. I'm overall. I'm. I have to say, I'm. I was really pleased with this. I'm. I'm interested to see where this is uh, headed next. And the character work was great. The art by um, uh, Mendonca. I don't think I'm familiar with uh, his art, but it, it works for me. I overall. I have to say, I'm. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was. I thought it was well done.
0: Miguel's art is spectacular here. Um, most people may, like his previous, the longest gig, I guess you would say. I mean, he's done some fill-in stuff here and there. He did some of the issues that Brian Edward Hill wrote of Detective Comics. Miguel did the art for that. That's where I first became familiar with his art. And then uh, he did a lot of work on Kelly Sue Aquaman. And I have probably what is my favorite commission of all time. Is a commission from Miguel Mendoca, which is absolutely amazing. I'll show it to you in a second, uh, right. but first, my kind of thoughts on on the issue itself. Um, I agree with Rocky. This didn't blow me away, but there's a lot to like here. I there are certain things I love. I love the characterization of of Superman and Lois. Their relationship is is portrayed very very well. Uh, I think a lot of the characters, their characterization. You can't necessarily say, OK, Zdarsky doing a great job of, of characterization on that character because so much has changed here. This is a, a story in the future. This could potentially be the last Justice League story. So the way the characters interact, everything has been changed. The dynamic has changed because of the events that happened that caused Martian Manhunter to be killed. Um, but it is great to see Superman calling Batman out. Oh, you always call the shots? Well, not this time. And Batman calling out Superman saying, no, you're not assertive enough. Like you, you, you can see where each of the characters is coming from. One of the things, probably the thing I like least about the story is at times it feels less like a Justice League story and more just like a Batman story. Um, And God knows we have more than enough Batman stories in the DC universe, but Batman's characterization here is so strong and so over the top and as the story and plot play out, it's, he, you know, there, even the rest of the Justice League acknowledges, hey, we need to keep Lobo safe. We can't do that without Batman. So all of a sudden, Batman is is the central figure, is the central, you know, part of the story where, we, you know, we can't do this without Batman. He becomes the most important character, which, again, leads it to feel much like a Batman story. Yeah. Um, And I'm tired of Batman stories, to be honest with you. Uh, You know, the idea of a Zardowski Justice League story excites me. You know, I'd love to get Chip Zardowski's take on the Justice League. I'm less interested in his take on Batman. So it's the jury's still out on this for me of of where it's going to go and ultimately how uh, I'll feel about it in the end. But it is a good start. Yeah. and uh the color work and the artwork by Mendoka, the color work by mendoka and uh, or the line work I should say by Mendoka, and the color work by Enrica Angiolini, who I've heard the name, but I don't know that I've ever looked at their work and gone, wow they they're really talented, but yeah, this is really spectacular, and far and away my favorite. Part of the book is uh is Lois and Superman in in the fortress of solitude, so it's a good start. I hope it's less batman centric as it goes along and I, curious I, to see what I, happens I
1: was, was going to comment your the the fact that you're a little annoyed at maybe it's too batman centric is ironically enough that might be what Sardaski was going after because uh in fact, Superman is annoyed with Batman too because it's always about Batman. Batman always sort of takes the lead, always makes the decisions, and I think that's one of the things that in inherently is uh, uh, Superman finds uh, extremely annoying and it's one of the things that's causing them both uh, a great deal of, uh, of tension. But. um,
0: So, so what you're saying is I'm just like Superman. Uh, I'll take that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, who can blame you? Yeah. So here's my,
0: uh, one of my favorite commissions of all time. I don't know if you guys. Oh, nice. So that is, Superman, and he's brushing Lex Luthor's teeth.
1: Now, just a minute. I'm going to, I'll try to squeeze you up here on the uh, bigger, I'll do a bigger. uh...
0: So, this all stems from a conversation with Tom King about Tom King was wondering if Superman brushed his teeth. And (laughs) somebody said, Superman brushes everyone's teeth. (laughs) and then somebody else responded oh that's why lex Luthor hates him and so i decided to start a sketchbook of superman brushing other people's teeth miguel was the first commission i got in it and uh this is actually if you can see sort of on the, the left there you can actually see superman and lex's shoulder what you actually see is their reflection in the mirror um and the the Looks on both of their faces are just <laughs> absolutely spectacular.
1: <laughs> That's um, awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Miguel, he's uh, he's amazing. Really, really great guy. Um, so I look forward. He lives over in Spain, I believe. So I look forward to the next time he's at a convention here in uh, the U.S. and I can actually hang out with him uh, again. So great guy. Great to see him getting work. He's he's, he's super talented, uh, and it, sure. Superman's one of his favorite characters. And it was always his, he was a DC guy. It was always his dream to draw comics and specifically draw for DC. So him getting to do a justice league book is, is awesome. Super happy for him. So good to see. Uh, Yeah. So let's move on. Uh, We're going to talk about Batman. The speaking of Batman, Batman, the detective number two from writer, Tom Taylor, Andy Kubert on pencils, Sandra Hope on inks colors by Brad Anderson. Second part of this, uh, I believe six part story. Um, And I thought this one, it it didn't – there wasn't as much to this issue as there was the first, which I suppose is understandable. You know, first issue, you're establishing, you know, what's going on. We know that there's some organization that is trying to basically kill people that Batman has saved. They keep – I don't know if they call themselves Equilibrium or that's like their battle cry or something, but they're – for some reason, they believe that these the people that Batman saved sh- should have died, and they're trying to bring balance back to, to the world by killing the people that don't that shouldn't be alive. Basically, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Don't think about it too hard. Like, why why would they be? We get a closer look at them. They dress like Batman, but their suits are like white or gray, so that's interesting. We have Knight and Squire, who are a couple of superheroes from the kind of. Batman analogs of, uh, of the UK. So that's interesting. Um, and then we have, have, uh, Henri Ducard, who's one of the most influential characters or people in the training of Bruce Wayne. Think of him as, you know, one of the greatest, uh, bounty hunters, I guess, or man hunters, uh, that's ever lived. And he taught Batman, everything he knows. And, uh, the dynamics between him and Bruce are, are great. And uh, he he gets ambushed by this group, this equilibrium, and whether or not he survives is to be determined. I mean, I, you kind of think he's going to survive. He is pretty important in the Batman mythos, but at the same time, I wouldn't be completely shocked to see him killed. But I do I do think he'll survive. But it does make for kind of a powerful moment because you're like, wow, this guy's a, an important character in in Batman lore. And uh, he gets jacked up <laughs> pretty bad when he's attacked by this equilibrium group. So um, other than that, there's not, there's not that much that, that happens. Um, I think the art in this issue is substantially better than the first issue. I didn't get any JRJR vibes from the, uh, the Andy Kubert art, or at least very minimally. Um, so I thought overall the art was pretty strong. The scripting by Tom Taylor and the pacing are done pretty well uh, if there's anything wrong with the story or any nitpick it, it just it, it to this point it doesn't feel impactful or necessary I don't know why this this story needs to exist yet it hasn't Tom Taylor hasn't hooked me even though the possibility is there but usually with Tom Taylor stuff I'm I'm hooked right away that's not the case with uh, with this um, but yeah I, I was very pleasantly surprised that the art was so much better in the second issue. I particularly love the page where they're running across the top of the train in the rain with the lightning behind them. I thought that was done really, really well. So yeah, overall I've I've kind of liked this issue, even though it's less kind of less volume of story. I felt like there was a bigger chunk of story in the first issue. I feel like this was, Done better. The first issue felt a little choppy, um, but this, both the pacing narratively and visually, I thought was done better. And I thought this was overall a a better issue technically, um, but I'm still not completely pulled into the story yet. So, what did you think, Rocky?
1: Uh, I I love Henri Descartes. Uh, I love I love when any story that incorporates any mentor of, of Bruce Wayne, like when in those infamous years when Bruce Wayne was training to become Batman and travel the world. Of course, Henri Descartes was one of the ones who helped train him. Uh, and Henri Descartes could essentially find anybody and. Uh, I found it interesting that Bruce Wayne, that Henri Ducard actually looks, he, he's supposed to look older than Bruce Wayne, but the, he actually looks like they lo- almost look like they're the same age, which I found yeah. was really odd here. I thought that was an artist, I thought that was an error artistically, because Henri Ducard should look older than he looks, because he, he, you know, he should look a little bit more ragged. I mean, he's, he's aged much better than Bruce Wayne has. Let's put it that way, <laughs> if, if that's to yeah. be believed. But in any event, uh, he should be older than Bruce Wayne, but having said that, Henry Ducard here is uh obviously there's a history there. Batman has uh sort of mixed feelings about Henry Descartes, doesn't always uh, appreciate his methods, but uh it's clear that they have a history. And I and I love that I love the character work it does that uh Tom Taylor does here. That Henry Descartes, I mean the you know Henry Descartes appears to respect Bruce Wayne, respect Batman more than Batman respects him. And Henri Ducard seems to be a little bit more of a realist. Batman seems a little bit more sort of stubborn and still very judgmental of Ducard, which I suppose is not surprising. He is Batman and he never, he has a hard time letting, letting mistakes go in the past. Uh, I found it interesting that Henri Ducard made a reference to the, to the woman in the Batman outfit who is, it's odd that the, you know, that this equilibrium group, they're dressed like Batman and they're, you know, they're, they're saying is you should not exist. So if you've been saved by Batman, you should not exist and they're going to kill you. I thought it was quite a comical scene that was set up where when Batman actually saves one of the, one of the members of equilibrium, uh, that, you know, he saves their life and then he sends, he, and he puts a tracer on the, on the, on the guy and he ends up back in the clutches of equilibrium. And of course, this guy actually works for Equilibrium, but then when they discover that Batman saved him, suddenly he's on the list that has to be eliminated because Batman yeah. saved him. <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious. I was like, oh no! And you could tell the look on his face that, oh my God, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Batman didn't save me, no. <laughs> but anyways, uh, that was funny. Ducard references when this this woman, this female, uh, and we're assuming she's female because she's got breasts and she, she's referenced as a she, that hundred Ducard says, you know, a woman does appear to be behind it all. And Henry Ducard says to this woman right before he supposedly kills her that he says, you were always a bit unstable. I know what happened. What, what you're doing won't help. And so whoever this woman is, it's a woman from Batman's past. And in my view, there's only a limited number of women. Is Tom Taylor going to introduce a brand new character who's behind the mask? as a as heading Equilibrium, or is he going to delve into Batman lore? Is this Talia Algol behind the mask? Is this, uh, I mean, it wouldn't be Selina. Could it be a Stephanie Brown, Bluebird, uh, you know, Gotham Girl, Phantasm? My guess was Phantasm, but Tom King's doing that. And, and uh, there's, a, there's a number of, it could be Nisa Algol. Uh, you know, who, who is this female running the head of Equilibrium? I suspect maybe Tom Taylor, Tom Taylor is well-versed in, in, in DC lore, so it wouldn't surprise me if he used an existing female character from Batman lore or maybe from another mythology of another hero in the DC universe. But I really like where this is going. And uh, you know, a, a nice little mystery is developing as to who, who this female leader of Equilibrium would be and why do they care so much about killing off all the people who Batman has saved. I, I'm still in this. I'm, I, I quite enjoy this issue.
0: Yeah, I mean they must want Henri dead even more now because once they shoot him and throw him off the side of the building, he for sure would have died. But Batman grabs him right before he hits the ground, so now <laughs> Batman has saved him again. So now they must really. Uh, the other thing, I, the other thing that I one last thought is when when all these groups, uh, all these members of Equilibrium uh, attack him, they most of them look human, but some of them not so much. Like there's particularly one that looks like. He's some kind of gargoyle looking guy with like fangs and the skin color on some of the others looks interesting. So yeah. Um, it's going to be really curious to find out more about that equilibrium group and who might be behind the the cowls as it were. So, uh, all right. Up next we have Superman number 31. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson we have Scott Godlewski on the breakdowns. Scott does the art on pages one and two, and then 13 through 22. Norm Ratman handles the art on pages three through 12. Gabe L uh, tab on colors and Dave Sharp on letters. Um, yeah. What to say about this? You know what? I'm, I'm going to let you go first, Rocky. Curious what you thought.
1: Yeah. I'm just trying to find my notes here. Let me see. Uh... Hmm. Well, I guess I'll have to wing it here. I didn't find that, uh, I don't think I, I know that I didn't take a lot of notes on this because I thought it was uh, relatively straightforward. I, I was actually, this is better than the first issue. I like the fact cause this is really, th- this whole issue is about, uh, you know, there, there, this is a callback to an earlier adventure that Superman had, uh, not in continuity, but where Superman was dealing with this alien race where, uh, uh, He put down some sort of some sort of alien, I don't know, mind controller that was taken over the planet, and it's come back to life now. And Superman is defeated in this issue, and he's got to rely on John Kent. He's got to rely upon his son. And you know, John Kent has been through a lot. Like he's gotten a a bad. He's gotten a. He's he's gone through a. I think a very tumultuous phase, uh, both from the fans. Who don't like the fact that he's aged up? I think that he was. I think he was written terribly in Future State. He came across like a jerk in Future State. I feel that this is the second issue in a row where uh, the the writer is trying to put lipstick on the pig. That uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson is trying to put lipstick on the pig. That is John Kent, trying to maybe redeem him. I feel in the eyes of the readership, and also maybe just give him a little bit of redemption himself. In fact, John Kent even impress, impresses his father in this issue because he, he does a thing with his heat vision that Superman's never done before. And I think is a first. I don't think Superman, he, uh, Superman was impressed that his son actually uses heat vision to explode uh, m- water molecules at the molecular level to cause uh, a heat flash as opposed to heat vision. And he was impressed with that. He thought it was very creative of John Kent, the son, and he was happy that he did that. And uh, but then ultimately he's defeated, and it's clear that John Kent is going to be the one that's going to save the day here uh, from the. I can't even remember the name of the villain here. It's the whole point of this shadow, shadow breed. What the shadow breed? Shadow. Yeah, shadow breed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fair enough. Uh, I'm not like I said. I. I think this is very... Uh, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just... F- frankly, my, my, I have a bias. I I, I just don't want to... Uh, I, I guess I just want a more epic adventure. This just feels... You know, I'm not... This story just isn't really for me. Although, I want to give, give props to Philip Kennedy Johnson, where I think he deserves it. He did do some character work here. And I think he's doing his best... To try to prop up John Kent, and he does a good job in this issue. I I I like John Kent in this issue. I thought he was a he's a he he he. It felt like he's a teenager. It felt that he's learning. It felt that it it feels like this is a kid that's learning and he's getting better and he's better than his self esteem would suggest. He's very hard on himself. He's he's kind of insecure, but yet despite his insecurity, he's better than he thinks he is, and. Uh, and kal his father wants him to embrace and to be more secure in his decision making because he is good john kent knows what he's doing but he lacks the self-esteem at times uh, in order to in order to fully embrace the the legacy that he's he's one day going to have being the son of superman
0: yeah there there is some good character work um and i'll talk about that in a second but first i'll I'll call out the art uh, a lot of people like scott godlewski's art and I, I think his art is fine it works at times i i didn't th- think it was that great a lot of people praised it on the future state house of l book i just thought it was okay um i actually like the norm ratman art better here um i think that the color work suits norm's l- lines i just think his rendering and and his line work is just a little cleaner um not to say that godlewski art is bad by any stretch uh, but I did enjoy Norm's uh, pages better as far as the story itself. Yeah. I agree with Rocky. It's nothing special. It doesn't feel, it doesn't have that majestic Superman space opera superhero type of story feel that I think Kenny Johnson's going for. Um, but it's not all bad. Uh, you know, he's, he's definitely playing with John Kent and playing with this idea of fathers and sons, this uh, alien world that they're on. It, the dynamic between fathers and their uh, offspring is very different. It's one of uh, fear rather than love. You know, like if you fear your, uh, your father that and show him respect, that's kind of the most important thing as opposed to kind of our human uh, outlook on it where, you know, if there's love and respect between a father and a child, then that's what's most important. So it, there's a lot of juxtaposition there between, the relationship these aliens have with their parents versus the, the relationship that John has with uh, his father. But the best character work is actually when, when John is talking to one of these aliens and uh, he's kind of, this alien is sort of our point of view character for this, what Philip Kennedy Johnson is trying to get across. Like what, what's John afraid of, right? He's afraid of being less than what, um, his father is. And when you think about that, it makes a lot of sense. He he talks about how on, on earth, his dad is called Superman, right? He's the ass alien. You know what that means, right? Like that's a lot to live up to. And, and this, this line I think is the most important line that I've seen Kennedy Johnson write in a Superman book. And it's, it's so important. And it's one, I think DC editorial needs to take to heart. John basically says, that he feels like his father has been trying to teach him how to be Superman, right? So that when, once Clark, Callel, whatever you want to call him, once he's not around anymore, John can take up the mantle. But John says, this is very important, Superman's not a title. It's him. And there will only ever be one of him. Full stop, period. That's it. And it feels like, although Kennedy Johnson is putting this right on the page, plain as day, the DC (laughs) editorial is not getting this. This is the problem with aging John up. This is the problem with giving John the Superman title, ending the current Superman title, starting it up, calling it Superman, son of Kal-El. John Kent should never be Superman. I'm not saying he shouldn't be a hero. John Kent should have his own superhero name. It shouldn't be Superman. There is only one Superman. There will only ever be one Superman. Now, whether you decide that you're going to have him live forever and be immortal, and outlive Lois and all Jimmy and all the other guys, outlive uh, perhaps John himself, since John's half human, it doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. Even if Superman dies tomorrow, there shouldn't be. There should never be another Superman. There is only one Superman. Here, here. I've never agreed. <laughs> I've never agreed with something a writer has written more vehemently than with what John. And I love the awareness that John is putting out here. You know, and I get it. Like you call, we have a superboy, we have a supergirl, we have you know multiple superboys. Actually, we've had you know different names, and John certainly is wearing the crest of the House of El. But you got to find a way to establish his own identity that's separate from his father. Um, and and maybe we're getting a hint of that. Rocky talked about how uh, John uses his uh, heat vision in a different way than his father ever has here. So let's get, you know let's differentiate his powers a little bit. Let's get him a different costume if we need to. Let's stop trying to shoehorn John into the shoes of his father and let just let him be his own character. So if we can get there, like if Philip Kennedy Johnson ends up staying on Action Comics for a while, and we get we get that. Maybe that's what Tom Taylor's book is going to be. John gets out of the shadow of his father and stops trying to be Superman and, and picks up, you know, chooses another superhero name. Man, I would be all for that. I would be all for that. I think that's where that's the direction he needs to go. The problem I think a lot of people have with the aging up is it's just, it's that much closer to trying to, you know, shove John into the role that his father has. We already have a Superman. He's a great character. There's plenty of stories you can keep telling with that character why replace him and then try to tell the same types of stories with a new character. It's arbitrary. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. So that's all I have to say about this, this issue. That's the important part of it. The rest of it to me, it's just, yeah, kind of typical and tropey and and not really that interesting. Uh, It certainly seems like Kennedy Johnson is, is trying to show us how um, capable and formidable uh, John is on his own. And perhaps he's going to rescue his father, the backup story, Uh, first of all, I'll say the art by Sammy Basri is spectacular. It's written by Sean Lewis. Uh, It's basically a a loose cannon uh, and uh, current gangbuster story that's tied into this Tales of Metropolis that's been going on with this woman who's putting the hex on people and making them see things that aren't there or act in ways they they shouldn't. Uh, The art's the best part of it. The story itself, it's not memorable enough that it's easy to follow. Like I read it and I, I kind of got the gist of it, but I felt like if I want to get the most out of the story, I'd have to go back and read all the backups again, you know, because they're not big enough chunks of story and it's not important or impactful enough to remember, you know, I'm like trying to remember back. So yeah, they had a meeting of this metropolis group with ambush bug and um, John Henry irons and Bibbo and loose cannon and gangbuster. And then previous to that Bibbo had met some woman who we know is a villain, but he doesn't. She's kind of pulling the wool over his eyes. And what's the point of this? Eh." I mean, it it, it does feel a little bit of the triangle era in terms of the triangle era of Superman stories, having a a big supporting cast, almost an ensemble. And so I do like the nostalgia of that. But uh, again, I just don't feel these backups are necessary. If this is a story you want to tell, then just give us a, an 80 page one shot or a, a two issue mini, so we can read it all together and remember what the hell's going on instead of giving us, you know, like a third of a story as a backup and it makes it drags the story out it makes it hard to remember over a six month period of time. So uh, anyway, I don't know if you have anything to add about the backup, Rocky. I,
1: I really don't. I, I never, I just sort of skim read it. I'm just not interested in it. I, I'm just really not interested in it. If you're going to get, if you want to get me interested in Bibbo and, and the elk and loose cannon incorporated in a Superman story that will, will pull me in and have me invest in it more. These are, are C level characters that I just I've never at, really at cared best. for. At best. Yeah. At and best sea level. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. And I just I'm just I'm just really not um you know, I'm just I'm just not into it. I mean I like I said, it, it needs to have it needs to it needs to be connected more to the Superman with Superman. I'm just I'm not interested in these characters. I got no reason to care for them. And and in fairness, I've never cared for them for in forty years. So I'm not gonna start now. If to be very brutally honest. And if you're gonna do it, you're gonna have to do something truly uh completely outside the box. And this is just sort of typical. Like you said, you you nailed it with the triangle error. That's what it feels like to me. This is like the total filler waste of space. This adds to the price of a comic book that they shouldn't even be in this comic. Straight up shouldn't be in this comic, in my in yep. my view, and it's it's very harsh of me to say, but that's just the way it is.
0: Yep, I agree. Uh, all right, up next we have Rorschach number eight from writer Tom King, Jorge Fornes uh, on the art, Dave Stewart does the colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. This was a very interesting issue. Uh, we got I don't I wouldn't say a lot of forward momentum on the story, but a lot of character work, especially for the detective that's investigating this. Uh, this assassination attempt. So, what do you think of this one, Rock? Uh, I,
1: I thought it was I thought it was good. I I had to read it a couple times again, but but uh, in order to get a better appreciation of it, it this involves the lieutenant that's investigating the assassination of uh, the attempted the attempted assassination of candidate uh, Turley, who is running against the. Uh, incumbent president redford robert redford and last issue we we were introduced to frank miller <laughs> and frank miller is uh it, what what's what's established this issue is that he actually the entire issue is involves a series of interrogation scenes and flashbacks and he's investigating and, and interrogating the lieutenant is interrogating a lawyer by the name of samuel samuel faden a psychiatrist by the name of jamie Knowles, and and a and a and just a a sort of a, a friend of will Meyerson one of the would-be assassin assassinators uh, named Daniel Shapiro and and they they're all given testimony and clearly they're uh, the lieutenant through his questioning is very frustrated with all of them because they're all they're all lying in different ways and they're providing misdirection and it and as a reader, I'm just as frustrated as the lieutenant here. And I think Tom King did a good job here. Whereas normally I would be inclined to blame Tom King for the lack of clarity. I think it works well here because I think the lieutenant himself, who's doing the investigating, he's frustrated with the lack of clarity because he figures that all, all, all these members, this, this lawyer and this lawyer who used to be the lawyer for Will Meyerson and he met, he, this this lawyer was a comic collector who who met Will Myerson, who's a who's a comic book creator of this pirate comic. He met him at a comic convention, and then the psychiatrist is the son of a psychiatrist that that gave Will Myerson you know you know uh counseling sessions, and then you got this Daniel Shapiro, who's a good friend, whose uncle was who re- really liked Will Myerson's comic book work. So everything's connected, and. The lieutenant sort of seems to think that they're all member of this cult, and that Will Myerson and this Laura Cummings, they work together, and they really did a. It would appear that they really did manage to create what appears at this point to be a strong cult following. That maybe, it, maybe, maybe we're not sure how large this cult goes, but if there is a small number of members in it, they're definitely they've drank the Kool Aid. They've definitely drank the Kool Aid of whatever it is that Frank Miller was selling or Will Myerson was selling and you know again it, it's sort of wedding continues to create there's a lot of questions i have but it's clear that it's not just this frank miller that character that is sort of brainwashed into being wanting to be rorschach but that there's more than one member to this and i'm still not entirely clear what their agenda is it, it was, if it was just straight up a uh to to kill Turley uh, because they heard it on a tape recording like, like that was established last issue. So there's a lot of interesting little tidbits here. I, as I said last time when we reviewed this, Jace, uh, if somebody who's just coming into this series cold is going to have a hard time figuring out what the heck is going on, if you just, you, you want to read this series from the beginning, if you do, I believe you'll be rewarded. I think that Tom King has done some really good character work here. And it's all going to come down to the landing, how how this ends. I've been highly critical. I think Tom King can really blunder his endings, but at the same time, he's nailed some endings too with some of his work. So I'm I'm on board here. I, I've been, I'm enjoying the journey so far. I'm, I'm just hoping the destination is going to be good when we finally get there.
0: Yeah, I agree. There's no way you can pick this up, you know, issue eight and jump in and know what the hell's going on. Uh, and part of it has to do with the way that that Tom wrote this. He he he's talked in multiple interviews. He told me himself when he was on the show that you know he wrote this as one big story. You know he wrote he wrote it as basically one novel if you want to think about it like that. This is one story that is then broken up into eight parts. So uh, it's going to read great altogether. Uh, you know the nature of comics and releasing it monthly. It takes time to draw that kind of thing. I I totally get it, but it's going to be another one of those situations, much like Mister Miracle. Strange Adventures, Sheriff of Babylon's another one where reading it all together is going to be a much more satisfying experience. I think as far as this issue itself, what we learned about the detective and his, uh, his insight, the steps he's willing to take are all fascinating. Uh, The artwork by Jorge Fornes is, is equally fascinating uh, and it really stops and makes you think once you, you know, hear about the story, these three guys, the handyman, the lawyer and the psychiatrist, they go out to this ranch that Meyerson has bought uh, and Cummings is there as well. And they each have their own uh, tasks to perform there and they all basically shoot this gun at a stage that's been erected out on the land from this tower. It's basically it's Cummings and, and Meyerson practicing the assassination attempt, basically. But these guys don't know that. And the detective's uh, response to that is how could you not know? Like what about what was going on makes this seem normal. And, and it's so interesting the way the detective's mind works. He, he knows that they're all collaborating. He knows that they're all conspiring and they're telling him uh, lies, basically, because nobody's story would match as closely as these guys stories match. There would be, more differences when he finally calls them on it, you know, they, they sort of fess up, you know, Oh, this is the guy that, that really is onto something. He's the one we can pass along the message to and what's that message. The squids are here, right? Like that's been behind the story all along about this whole idea of the, the squids that came at the end of Watchmen are controlling people's minds. And it seems so far fetched and uh, just completely out there because we of course know how, how, it wasn't even a real alien invasion based on what Ozymandias did and uh, Adrian Vett and all that kind of stuff. So there's much more to come here. There's four issues left. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated. It's really interesting. It's an interesting look. And uh, with with the artwork that Fornes is, is bringing us, which is kind of crime noir and sort of uh, he brings a realism and a cynicism to the art that works really well the idea of Meyerson being a comic creator and bringing in creators from the past, like Otto Binder, Frank Miller showing up again, like, why is King doing that? Uh, I think we're not going to have the answers to a lot of these questions until we get to the end. And knowing Tom King, we won't even get all the answers um, (laughs) at least not on the record. I'm sure next time I see Tom, we'll be asking him some questions about this and we'll, we'll see what happens and what we're actually able to say, but yeah, this is, this is a really interesting story. It's a lot of fun. Um, and despite it all being written as one kind of continuous narrative, he is switching things up from chapter to chapter. Cause this, this issue starts off and you're like, I was remembering back to the way this last issue ended. And I'm like, I, it took me a second. I'm like, wait, are we, wait, what's going on again? Uh, <laughs> so it took me a minute uh but yeah this is uh this is probably the best thing tom king's done in, in quite a while so i'm really enjoying it
1: yeah no it's 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 definitely worth it's worth a read for people who uh you know if, if dare i say if you liked Watchmen, i think i think this would be definitely worth checking out for people no question
0: yep agreed uh all right up next is joker number three this is from writer james tynan we have Guillaume March on the art, Arif Prianto doing the colors, and ta- uh, Tom Napolitano on letters. Um, this is a dense read. the The issue is sort of narrated by Jim Gordon, and all you know all along we've said this isn't a Joker story. This uh, or Joker title. This should be called Gordon or Gordon's Manhunt or Gordon Hunts for the Joker, something along those lines. Of course, it's not going to be because if you call it Joker, you can get better sales. And so I, I completely get it. Um, But in in this issue, we get a lot of insight into what Gordon's thinking and there's sort of a a surprise ending where Gordon himself is sort of on the tail of the Joker or or meets up with the Joker much sooner than he, uh, he might've expected. Um, I think the artwork by Gia March is, is done really well. His style has definitely changed over the years. I've, I've talked about it previously. You know, go back and look at his artwork on the Catwoman on New 52, and his art is much cleaner. This is a little more gritty and a little more visceral, and I think it works that way. The one thing I don't like is how, and I don't know if this is um, Arif Prianto the colorist or if it's specifically something that uh, Guilla March is doing, but in various panels based on the angle supposedly of the glasses that Jim Gordon is wearing – you'll be able to see through one of the lenses and the other lens will be like completely reflective or sometimes both will be reflective. And I'm fine with both of the lenses being reflective and not being able to see his eyes or being able to see both eyes. What I don't like is when you can see one eye and the other lens is reflective and you can't see the other eye. It just looks like he's missing a lens out of his, his glasses. I know that might not be like reality. And I know by, you know, looking at an angle, if I were, with somebody wearing glasses like that in real life, it very well might be that I could only see one of his eyes and the other one would be reflective, Mm. but I don't care about the realism. It just looks bad when you can see one eye and you can't see the other because it's completely colored over because it's supposedly being reflective. It just bugs me every time I see it. So I had to, I got to call it out. But uh, overall, this is a a fun story uh, based on the way this ends. Uh, I have a feeling we're going to get more Joker going forward. So whether or not it can continue t- to be a book that I look forward to, I guess remains to be seen. Because it certainly seems like we're going to get a bunch of over-the-top Jokerness coming up soon. Um, but I-, I love how much this showcases how Gordon is so much more than just you know the guy that turns on the bat signal and and sort of uh, feeds Batman information. He is capable very capable on his own, he's a superior detective um he's you know has a ton of experience in law enforcement and man hunts and things like that, and it's great to see him sort of getting his due. I really do wish this was titled something that was reflective of that, you know, giving Gordon some of his uh his due i mean I think the last time, and I could be wrong um but I think the last time there was a Gordon titled book was way back in the 90s there was a mini series with three or four issues called Gordon's Law. That's the last time I remember there being a, a Gordon book. Obviously we, we had, you know, Gotham uh, City Central and GCPD and obviously those were Gordon's centric in, in as much as he was part of the police department um, but not as much as Gordon's Law was and certainly not as much as this is. So uh it, it's pr- pretty solid the backup story, less so. Um, but I'll give Rocky a chance to talk about the main story, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about the backup. <laughs>
1: uh, well, I love the story. As as Goth as a former Commissioner Gordon is is flying off to Belize after being given a credit card with twenty five million dollars, uh, pretty much unlimited spending money on it. Uh, and of course, uh, Crescita, they completely trust him. You know, he makes some comment about, "Are you sure you trust me with this?" And of course, they do because he's commissioner you know he's 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 Gordon so everybody trusts him even the even the bad guys and as vengeance daughter of Bane is uh, sail, uh is uh on a ship to Belize uh Gordon flies there and as you as you as you mentioned Gordon's detective work here really shines through you know he as, as he and and we were privy to his thoughts uh thanks to uh James Tiny, who's does a great job making us privy to Gordon's thoughts here and he you know he knows that when, when the rich want to hide from the rich, it's very different because the, the rich find it easy to hide from, from the, the majority of us, uh, common folk, the troglodyte masses. But, uh, when the rich hide from the rich, it's another level entirely. And that's what they do in Belize and, and Gordon is very surprised to discover that, you know, he, he seems to, he, he tracks down the Joker, but he, he actually thinks that he's going to be, cause it's the Joker. He's, he's going to be two or three weeks behind the Joker and he'll get to the Joker. You know, he'll always be four steps behind the Joker, but <laughs> he discovers that he actually runs into the Joker <laughs> and the Joker doesn't seem surprised to uh, see him when they meet up in, in that, in that same resort. Uh, on beliefs that was uh, that Joker was preparing to be at, uh Joker b- believes and knows he's going to be attacked, and uh, and Gordon is there with him, and and Joker says something very specifically that we suspected but we didn't know for certain, and that is the Joker at least says that he had nothing to do with the gas attack at Arkham Asylum, and now the Joker of course could be lying, yeah, and he could be lying to us readers, and he could be lying to Gordon, of course, <laughs> but uh, that that makes a lot of sense. It, it uh, even in future state, when that a day, Arkham asylum day, where that gas attack at Arkham, we all suspected from the beginning, even in future state, when it happened, that it, it didn't feel right for something. It's yes. It's something Joker would do, but it's a little bit too obvious. It's and, and so n- none of us really bought it. And, and uh, neither of course, uh, you know, ov- obviously that's exactly what the the, the Joker reveals here. And, Really, you know, the when the Joker greets Gordon, uh, they're they're about to be attacked. I mean, all, all those all the rich people. Remember the that that uh, cannibalistic uh, crime family that that whose whose one of their sons, one of their their family members was killed in Arkham on the gas attack. They're blaming Joker for it. They're about to attack this Belize resort where the Joker is hiding out with Gordon, and so it looks like Gordon and Joker are going to have to team up. So. It's going to be interesting to see how Commissioner Gordon navigates being a potential, he might have to fight alongside the Joker in order to preserve, save his own life before he contemplates uh, eliminating the Joker's life to collect 25 cool million. <laughs> but overall, I like, I like the stakes that are building here. I think James Taney and the Force doing a great job. We we got a full page spread of of Vengeance, Daughter of uh, Bane, but we still haven't seen her in action yet. So Again, we're just in issue three, and again, I'm just really excited for this issue. I'm I'm quite happy with it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh it it's a great title. Um despite the fact it's called Joker. I <laughs> you know I, when I when it was announced I railed again. Oh god, a Joker title, but it hasn't been. It's been a Gordon title, at least to this point. So we'll see if that, that continues. Uh the backup is called Punchline Chapter Three. Written by Sam Johns and James Tynan. We have art by Mirko Andolfo, colors by Romulo Farto Jr., letters by Ariana Mayer. Very, very predictable. This uh, supposed friend of Punchline takes Bluebird to see all her stuff in the basement of her condemned dormitory where she killed her dean uh, and first met the Joker. And sure enough, he has led Bluebird into a trap and paralyzes her with some. Uh, Gas from a a book that Punchline had booby trapped and then lights all the stuff on fire and and leaves. Um, yeah, not again. Not a fan of Punchline. I've talked about this whole idea of her on trial and the fact that she could get away with this is just being completely ludicrous and asinine and and honestly depressing. Based <laughs> on what we've seen in the real world, that it, this could actually happen with all the alternative facts and and BS whatnot. Not a fan of the Punchline character. So I certainly could have done without this story. Um, I didn't think the art, I, I, I uh, fr- uh, frankly, I expect much, much better from Mirko and Dolfo art. This is some of the worst art I've seen her do. So I, I don't know if she was rushed or what. But um, uh, th- as far as yeah. the storytelling goes, narratively, the storytelling's fine. I just expect her art to be a lot more dynamic. And this was pretty meh, to be honest with you. So I don't have much more to say than that
1: yeah i don't uh, I agree with you, and you know i'm 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 a defender of Punchline. I know uh more more so than most. I, I think that the character has a lot of potential, but I will also admit that that potential that i I imagine for the character is not being flushed out here. I, I, at least not yet. I mean, this is still early in Punchline adventures, but, but these are the formative years of of Punchline or the formative stories that, that are gonna decide whether or not Punchline remains just sort of like a, sort of like a, a flash in the pan or whether it becomes an endearing character. I think that there is a place for Punchline given her if she's the type of character that manipulates social media and is very good at it. Uh, and, she's she's really she comes across there as a little bit uh, i i don't want her to become one dimensional and i fear that's where this is heading here i you know again uh, i agree with you about the arc um, Mirko and delfo's art is usually better than this i mean her covers are you know covers are a different story but i was really hoping to have a little bit more dynamic i the the fight scene between orca and punchline was very very disappointing uh punchline seems to be um I'm not sure if she has a plan here or what have you uh the the that former member of the Royal Flush gang uh who that punchline humiliated in prison has hired basically had this orca to take to to beat up punchline uh, meanwhile the, her her best friend or punchline's former best friend Aiden who Aiden who who she knew in I guess in high school and in college Aiden is in fact a punchline fan he manipulates bluebird and and uses, uh, uses Punchline's uh, paralytic uh, aer- 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 aerialized gas to sort of incapacitate uh, Bluebird and to uh, basically try to, I guess, take her out. And so clearly Punchline has a history here. Bluebird is trying to investigate to get more evidence to use against Punchline at, at the trial of Punchline because Punchline apparently... In terms from an evidentiary point of view, there is not any direct evidence that she murdered anybody during the Joker War. So, of course, she has a she potentially has a defense there due to only circumstantial evidence. And so through Leslie Tompkins and Bluebird, they're trying to establish a case against Punchline. So that story is moving forward. But this story, I and I think you agree with me that this story should feel more exciting than it is. Because if it it actually, because when I describe it like I just did, I I should I should be more involved in this story, but I'm not. I'm not sure if it's the art, but I'm not not sure. I'm not really quite feeling the emotions of Aidan. I'm not really quite. I'm not. uh, At some level, we should be feeling some degree of of empathy or sympathy for Punchline. At some level, but there's just to sort of draw us in and make us, even though we know Punchline is is a villain, there should be a little bit more of a question mark there to, to pull the reader in, uh, you know, just like in Harley Quinn in her early years, we knew she was a a villain in the early years, but there was something about Harley. Now I realize Harley's a different character. Punchline is darker than Harley, but still there should be a little bit more there for us that we can hang our hat on than what we're getting here. So, but you know, I'm, I'm a little disappointed, um, and, and it's ironically, the next chapter is called No One's Laughing Anymore. Well, I'm going to stop laughing pretty quick if we don't get some more develop some character development for Punchline. She should be more sophisticated than she is at this point.
0: Yep, agreed. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to Wonder Woman number 772. This is written by Becky Clunan and uh, Michael W. Conrad. Uh, the art, let me get to the. Uh, credits page here. The art is by Trad Moore, or I'm sorry, Travis Moore. Colors by Tamra uh, Tamra Bonvillon. Letters by Pat Brousseau. And this is after World's Part Three. Diana's still in uh, Valhalla, and we find out in this issue that she's not where she's supposed to be. Like we are kind of already knew, but now it's it's been acknowledged. And we finally find out who's been talking to her and kind of guiding her whenever she dies in Valhalla before she's resurrected. And I got to admit, it's not somebody that I expected. <laughs> yeah, um, and
1: I never saw it coming either.
0: <laughs> yeah, at all. Yeah. Um, but I'm enjoying the story. Uh, I, I feel like the, the Travis Moore art is not quite as solid or as dynamic as it was in the beginning, but that's likely because he's been drawing this book for a few months now and doesn't have as much lead time. The black and white scenes are spectacular. It really shows his uh, ability, but there's just a few panels here or there where the, uh, I guess the anatomy doesn't look quite right. The the, uh, the dimensions don't look, and proportions don't look quite right. But, but overall, I'm enjoying the story. Odin shows up here. Um, Wonder Woman heads to uh, to confront the, uh, the Valkyries. And, uh, I don't know if this, this, it feels like we could, we could be hitting the end of the, the first story arc next issue. Like maybe it's only a four parter. Um, the other thing I noticed was that there was no backup in this issue. You know, previously we'd seen backup, yeah. um, with, the uh, Jordi Belair story. So I was kind of, kind of wondering about that, but, but overall I'm enjoying the story. it uh, it just, this particular issue didn't feel as dynamic as the first couple of issues. Um, It felt like a little bit of setup, which, you know, you get that from, from time to time. Um, But it was great seeing dead man show up. Uh, I did not expect him to be Diana's guide as it were in the, uh, the afterlife, but it makes a a heck of a lot of sense. So uh, anyway, what did you think about the issue rock?
1: I I actually, it was good. It was, it was, it was a little bit, uh, I thought a little bit underwhelming, but it, it did. It did. It pushed the narrative forward. It, it it reminded us that this is, that we got two mythologies at play. We have Norse mythology with Ragnarok, which is like Viking Norse mythology, and, and that comes into play. There's also Greek mythology and Olympus. So Wonder Woman here, she, she not only has to get to the bottom, she, she not only has to get the key, that is located in the in this uh, in the serpent Nidhog the serpent and she's of course she gets into the stomach of the serpent by hiding in the egg that she had to retrieve from the eagle's nest last issue that was swallowed by the Nidhog serpent last issue and so she gets the key and now she has to make her way to the Valkyrie uh, in order to sort of see to, to I guess to to free them because the Valkyrie are not are not capable for whatever reason they're not carrying the dead. Of in the Battle of Ragnarok, they're not carrying the dead into the afterlife where they can celebrate uh their victory and and then essentially be be reborn again to to do battle every day. And so and then she runs into Siegfried, who she that was Siegfried was the initial her initial companion that she met. And Siegfried is from Norse mythology as well. And he's he sacrifices his life in order to help her gain entrance ultimately to the uh, on her path to the Valkyrie, and she even meets up with Odin, the son, or pardon me, the father of Thor. And there, there there's, I got to say, like, overall, Michael W. Conrad, Becky Cloonan, uh, co-writers here, I think they, they've weaved, this is not a complicated tale. Uh, Wonder Woman confronts her darker self that ends up being nothing but an astral projection of Dr. Psycho, because he's still involved here. And of course, she meets up with Deadman, which is a very interesting choice. I don't, I honestly, I've read a lot of Wonder Woman over the decades and I I don't recall the last time, I can't recall a Deadman story where Deadman ever was a guest star in a Wonder Woman comic. I'm sure somebody uh, could probably correct uh, to remind me when that was, but um, it's interesting. I'm not really sure how Boston brand Deadman is going to end up playing a role in this, but you know, it's, it. It's interesting. I, I'm curious to know how this is going to end up re- resolving itself. And it should also be noted that Wonder Woman is slowly getting her powers back. She could fly. This issue in the subsequent, in the previous issues, she was she was constantly getting killed because she she forgot that she wasn't invulnerable and she never had her full skill set. In this issue, she uh, the weapons are cursed, and they've discovered not to use the weapons because the weapons are cursed. So she uses. Uh, different weapons in in this issue or a sword that's different and so th- there's there's a lot of there's a lot of details in the story that I think Michael W Conrad and Becky Cloonan do very well at Travis Moore in the art fantastic visually this is a really good story this is a better Wonder Woman story than I've read than I've read. I got to be honest, probably in the last few years in terms of how it comes together. And if you, I would suggest that if one doesn't like this story, it's because you're, you're maybe not a fan of the mythologies, but overall I thought this was, this is, this is still, this still remains a creative intermingling of Norse and Greek mythologies and Wonder Woman's role in it.
0: Yeah. And the, uh the marriage of those mythologies is actually working a lot better than I would. And I would think on paper, I don't know that I would think that they would, they would work together that well. Um, but it's, it's, it's curious, you know, and it's a, it's a perfect type of story to tell with, uh, with wonder woman. I mean, there's no reason why wonder woman has to be steeped in only Greek mythology. When you think about it, she, she, suits a lot of the, the tropes or the ideas of North, uh, Norse mythology as well. Certainly, you know, the Valkyrie and Valhalla and whatnot. So, uh, all right, well on to the first of two anthology books. We're going to talk about Batman Ur- urban legends, uh, issue number three, which we've been big fans of both of the Chip Zdarsky story, the Red Hood story, as well as the, uh, the Grifter story from Matthew Rosenberg. So we get part three of both of those stories, uh, the Red Hood and Batman story by Zdarsky has Eddie Barrows on pencils, Eber Ferrer on inks um, with uh, Jesus Moreno. We also have Marcus Toe on the flashbacks, and then Adriana Lucas handles the colors with Becca Carey on letters. Over in the Grifter story, Matthew Rosenberg is the writer, Ryan Benjamin handling the art, Antonio Fabella on colors, Seda Timofanti on letters, and Adriana Lucas and Antonio Fabella, two of the best colorists working in comics right now, so... No surprise that they're on these, uh, on these stories and, and the, they, the art looks so great. We also have the third part of the outsider story from Brandon Thomas. Max Dunbar is the artist on that one. Luis Guerrero handles the colors and Steve Wands on letters. And then the last story, which in a way may, might be the most interesting, uh, Lady Shiva in Death Wish, by writer che grayson which i have never heard of that person before alberto jimenez albuquerque is the artist uh and i know his work he's the one that did the letter 44 series uh with charles soul which was uh from from oni i believe which is a really really great story uh david baron handles the colors on that one adida bidikar does the letters um yeah we'll just go story by story. I thought. The Red Hood story is as poignant and emotional and uh, pitch perfect in terms of characterization as the story has been throughout. Uh, The first part of the story was super impactful and really, really good. The second was uh, a bit of a downturn in terms of it it felt like a little bit of setup and moving characters around uh, on the page to get them where they need to be to set up moving forward and... Uh, that confrontation with Batman and Red Hood at the end of that leads into this where um, Bruce is doing his best tra- to try to understand where Jason is coming from. And Jason is doing everything he can to try to prevent this this young boy who calls himself Blue Hood, which I thought was a nice touch, uh, <laughs> but just to prevent him from going down the same path that, that Bruce and, uh, and Jason himself went down, right? He doesn't want... He doesn't want this young boy Tyler to to have those same experiences. And uh again, I'll call it the artwork by uh the whole artistic team, Eddie Barrows and Iber Ferreira. Uh I mean, great work. There's, there's a particular close-up of Red Hood's face where you can see how how strongly he feels about this boy and, and how he doesn't want him to experience the same sort of childhood trauma that he did. So uh, I, everything is great here from the flashback scenes where Jason t- Todd is still Robin and him taking certain things upon himself to to try to handle on his own to Jason losing patience with Batman, Batman saying, hey, it's daytime. We don't go out in the daytime. That's when we do our detective work. We'll go out later um, after we've done our, our our homework, so to speak, and Jason ever being the sort of reckless and impulsive character. And that's what's reflected in that flashback. You know, here here he was Robin and he was reckless and impulsive. He's grown and all this time has gone past. He's been killed and come back to life. And he still hasn't learned the lesson to not be impulsive and reckless. He still hasn't learned the lesson to to believe in Bruce. You know, he's asking Bruce to believe in him and they are working together on this case. Um, But he has not yet learned to sort of trust Bruce. He's asking for for more trust than he's willing to give. And in the end, uh, when he, he thinks he has a lead and he bursts through the door of this uh, rundown apartment, he's actually attacked by, uh, by Mr. Freeze. And we find out that maybe Freeze has something to do with this cheer drops drug. Um, and it's, he's not in a good place. He's, uh, he's outnumbered. He's overpowered. And maybe if he'd listened to Batman, they could have gotten there together. He wouldn't be... Uh, under threat because he chose to undertake this alone, so it's a it's it 's very clear to me that chip Zodarski understands who Batman is, he understands who jason Todd is um which kind of leads me back to his Justice League glass ride. Tell your Batman story here and and be sure we're getting something other than a Batman story there uh but yeah i'm i'm this has been a great story. I think the art is solid the color work is great um i'm very very ready for the rest uh, of the story. I think this one is, I want to say six parts uh, according to, yeah, part yeah. three of six or so halfway after this one. So uh, what were your thoughts on this first story, Rocky? Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I, I, I echo your comments. It's uh it's very well done. I love the, I love the kid, Batman calling the kid blue hood and giving him a lollipop. And it was uh, Batman showing a softer side and, you know, you get a sense that Batman even tried to show a softer side to a young Jason Todd back in the day in the flashback sequences. And, and it's, it's funny when they drop Tyler off to Leslie Tompkins, which is an appropriate place to drop young, the young boy off because Leslie Tompkins was there for a young Bruce Wayne when he was traumatized and ultimately even a, a Jason Todd at times. Uh, the, the one phrase in here that Batman says to Leslie Tompkins Was uh, the goal is not to create another Robin, but to help a Robin, and uh, you know, and that's that's very important. Is that you know, it's interesting when you look at the difference between a young Tyler, the young boy in this issue, versus a young Jason Todd. One gets a sense that this Tyler doesn't have the anger that a young Jason Todd did, and uh, you know, this the, the father son dynamic, that that father dynamic. Is is really rampant throughout this storyline, and just how how much it underscores everything. And and you hit the nail on the head about you know Jason Todd having anger issues. You know you can Jason Todd can can point fingers all he wants, but the fact of the matter is is that Jason Todd has never truly held himself accountable for. He's never really been in touch with his own feelings, and he uh, he's never really got to the uh, got a handle on his own anger. And we see that in in, in almost every story, every great story involving Jason Todd has. Uh, has has him dealing with his uh, anger in some way. We even saw it in Three Jokers, where he. Uh, well, we know what he did to the Joker in Three Jokers. So the guy's got anger issues, and he always seems to try to turn it around to to make it somehow somebody else's fault as opposed to his own. And he's not particularly great at coming to terms with his own feelings. But you know, kudos to Ch- uh, Chip Sardaski for for really uh, utilizing the young boy Tyler as sort of a, 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 a an emotional centerpiece in the telling of this story. And uh, and, and we're even getting to know Batman a little bit here. This is definitely a softer side of Batman because I, I one could argue, you know, it's interesting that Batman, he really cuts Jason Todd some slack here. I mean, Jason Todd murdered somebody. <laughs> I mean, I can point to a whole slew, we can all point to a slew of Batman stories where Batman does not let anybody get away with murder. It doesn't matter who you are. But somehow Jason Todd, he, he repeatedly gets uh, a, a free ride and frankly away with murder and, and Bat, batman lets him get away with it so clearly batman himself has a soft side for jason todd but in any event well, didn't, arts- didn't, didn't Wait, tyler's didn't tyler's dad have a gun pulled on jason todd though I well, mean, well no fair enough but that's not what that's not what jason told batman like and i don't you know what i mean i it just it's not as if i i guess you could argue that maybe batman just knows that but i mean the fact of the matter is is that jason i mean is that really an excuse? I mean, Jason, I mean, Batman, Batman finds a way. And, you know, again, it just seems to me that the conversation has never had, well, you know, like Batman should have arrived on the scene and at least saw that, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you could argue that. Yeah. I I,
0: I mean, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you that he's never taken uh, accountability for his actions and he certainly, uh, you know, blames other people for it and, and, you could make the argument maybe for self-defense in this particular case. You certainly couldn't make that argument with the Joker in three Jokers. He was tied up. That is just straight up murder. (laughs) There's no, you know, there's no other way to look at it. Um, And I'm just sort of being pedantic here to, to think about that. And yeah, you would expect more from a, from a superhero. And I don't know, it's interesting because Scott Lobdell had such a long run, you know, pretty much from the time the new 52 started nearly a 10 year run, on Jason Todd and you would think going that going that long with a character we would have, we have more of an idea of who Jason Todd is. Um, but yet he, he still feels like a character who's lost and, and you know, in, in fairness to Libdell, maybe that's the point. Maybe that's who Jason Todd is always supposed to be. He's always supposed to be a flawed character who can never find himself. So,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, anyway, what do you think about the, uh, lady Shiva story?
1: You know, I have. Um, I, I I could talk for an hour on this. I, I got so much to say, but I'm going to try to keep it short. I've. I think that Lady Shiva's been been written wrong for the last at least the last five years to begin with. Uh, so I've got a very specific interpretation of Lady Shiva. I like the I like the portrayal of Lady Shiva having a death wish in the Destruction's Daughter storyline with the original Cassandra Kane Batgirl series back in two thousand six two thousand seven. That's that's the favorite Lady Shiva. I didn't recognize the Lady Shiva in this series, although fans of the Outsiders might cut it some slack. This new writer Shay uh, Grayson, I don't know who it is, but uh, I. Lady Shiva is is just in my view here. She's written like a like someone who's just depressed because she has a poor relationship with Cassandra Kane. Lady Shiva's origins uh Lady Shiva's origins at least at one time were shrouded in mystery. Uh back in the days of Richard Dragon, she was avenging the death of her sister. This really oversimplifies Lady Shiva. It makes her in my view very one-dimensional. It makes it sound as if she only became a martial artist or or you know, essentially to 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 avenge her sister and then spent decades avenging her sister and then had a daughter, Cassandra Kane, had a bad relationship with her daughter and now doesn't have a relationship with her daughter. And now, in a fit of depression, approaches Bruce Batman in now that he's living in Gotham and he's not a billionaire anymore and basically antagonizes Batman and manipulates Batman to kill her so she dies. And because she's so depressed, and I straight up find this entire issue insulting to Lady Shiva. In the extreme, this is one of the worst interpretations of Lady Shiva that I've seen in a while. Lady Shiva would never Lady Shiva she she does she have a death wish at one point of time she did, but the, the goal her death wish was to be defeated by somebody who's better than her and that and she wanted that somebody to be her daughter to be better that was wh- that's what made destruction's daughter such an epic storyline. Lady Shiva and Cassant and David Kane. They had an offspring who they raised in the language of motion. That was Cassandra Kane. And Cassandra Cain could not speak. She only spoke the language of motion. And finally, at when she came of age, Lady Shiva returned the mother with the goal of finally finding an opponent that could defeat her, her own daughter, to carry on the legacy. That's what was epic about it. All of that has been stripped away here to make Lady Shiva this pathetic, emotionally uh, uh, weak woman. Now, that might be all good for, you know, that might be your typical woman, your typical mother, but this is Lady Shiva. This is Lady Shiva. She's not, I mean, you know, look at even Tom Taylor did it right in the Deceased series uh, where Lady Shiva, you know, she went out defending her daughter. I mean, Lady Shiva is kick-ass. She's hard-ass. She's got principles. She was by a very strict moral code and you never exactly know where Lady Shiva stands. But here, Everything about this was one-dimensional. I didn't like it. Uh but I unfortunately uh Lady Shiva was not well characterized by Brian Hill in The Outsiders. I was not a fan of his portrayal of her in La- uh, in The Outsiders. And this is just sort of continuing that narrative. She this is a character that had so much potential and it's been squandered. She's now just a pathetic, one-dimensional a uh, disgruntled martial artist that is uh that is humiliated by al Gaul she doesn't stand on her own she's not much of a leader she's not there's nothing mysterious about her she's a sad emotional shell of what she used to be she deserves better than this straight up I'm, yeah, done, I'm done ranting I'm, I'm sorry I'm done ranting yeah. but I I agree it, it, the the story's got
0: any number of problems with it first of all if if Lady Shiva is showing up and she wants Batman to kill her um. yeah that's not necessarily a good choice because we know Batman doesn't kill also if this is what she planned why does she have to take a steak knife from his knife block in the kitchen <laughs> it's like it, 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 it comes across as impulsive and weak emotionally and and yeah you're right I mean you're 100% right when, when you say Lady Shiva deserves better than this she's a, a good and interesting character this does not portray her in that light at all She comes across as an extremely weak character with questionable motivations, and that's not Lady Shiva. If there's anything about Lady Shiva that that stands out that you remember uh, as as sort of this classic Batman um, character that would show up from time to time is that she has the the strength of her convictions. And uh, yes, you might not know where she stands, but she always knows where she stands. Because she does have a, a, a moral code that she adheres to, even to her own detriment at times, if, if necessary. None of that exists here. Yeah. Um, she feels wishy washy. She feels emotionally weak. Um,
1: but not yeah, only that, but even Bruce Wayne. Let me just vent one more thing. Since when is Bruce Wayne going to emotionally bond with Lady Shiva? She's eating pork yeah. in front of Bruce Wayne and he's opening up to her about, uh, they're talking about Cassandra as if they're talking about their kid or something. This is nonsense. Batman yeah. wouldn't have this conversation with Lady Shiva. Give me a break. <laughs> there's yeah, nothing there's, about this that makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, and Good. and Bruce would, would disarm her and of the knife and throw the knife away. He wouldn't be holding it in his hand where she could then oh. throw herself on top of it oh. and stab herself, yeah. It's it's weak, it's lazy, it's bad storytelling, and yeah, oh it's God. just, yeah. I mean, I, I you you're trying to add some depth to Lady Shiva about how much she cares about, cassandra there's other and better ways to do it frankly it's been done better before um the fact that she's willing to sacrifice herself and and, you know like rocky was talking about with her death wish which would actually uh you know elevate her daughter that shows how much she cares about her daughter this just shows that she's weak actually what it shows is that the writer doesn't understand who lady shiva is actually is what what's going on here uh all right up next we have the the finale of the the caretaker which is the outsider story. Uh I don't have much to say about this. Um it tells us what we knew all along which is Katana and Black Lightning are just friends. Yes. Um Black Light or uh Katana does have feelings for Black Lightning that that run deep but those are feelings of of love you would have for a a comrade or a colleague or a friend not any sort of romantic feelings. Um, So again, it's sort of this story sort of feels like, what was the point of it? Uh, I think the art is good. I think the color work is good. Apparently we may be getting some more outsiders later in the year because uh, at the end of the story, it does say continued in the fall of 2020 when uh, at the end of the story, metamorpho Katana and black lightning in costume, are all sitting around eating a meal. At a Japanese restaurant, in in costume, which is just ridiculous. Um, and they talk about who they're gonna invite to join the outsiders. We know Duke Thomas, based on the future state stuff, is going to be a member. And Black Lightning mentions him, and then he mentions we're uh, we're gonna make it work. Our fifth member, is somebody different, but who it is? When uh, Metamorpho
1: asks, Black Lightning just gets a big smirk on his face. So. Do we know? I, don't know? I can't remember Future State. Was the fifth member revealed in Future State? Why am I drawing I a blank? No,
0: I don't. I don't think that it was. Not that yeah. I remember. But my my initial thought, like the first person I thought of was uh, Red Hood. For uh, not Red Hood. Um, Arsenal, Roy Harper. Right. I don't know why that popped into my head, but that's uh, that's what I thought. Anyway, do you have anything to add about? Uh, uh,
1: well, just that. Story? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call it, uh, and I again I might be wrong, but I can't believe they would waste two issues on whether or not Katana uh, loves or does not love Black Lightning unless she does, and she does, and I I think she does, and I think that would, I think the 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 giveaway was that the sweat on her cheek, she was doing her best to internally resist the truth serum, and I think she successfully resisted the truth. I think that Katana successfully resisted the truth serum and lied to her mother-in-law uh, when she said that they're just she just loves uh, Jefferson Pierce, Black Lightning, as a friend. I think she's in love with him uh, because it still doesn't explain why Monsieur, uh, her husband, uh, whose, whose soul was in the Soul Taker Sword, why he disappeared. I think she does love Jeff, Jeff Jefferson Pierce, and I think that's going to be one of the things that's revealed. I think it's a i it, i think it's a it's a great plot line, and I can't believe they would just tease that for more than one issue because that was even teased in future state i think uh, some attraction there. I can't believe that it's all they're just friends I don't believe it. <laughs> I might be wrong, but I don't believe
0: it <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's part of me that uh that likes that idea of of um katana and black lightning getting together romantically mm. but so much of who Katana is and her, her identity is wrapped up into her demotion to her dead husband and her family. So I don't know if that weakens her um, motivations or whatnot. So uh, there's a fine line to be, be tread there. So, uh, all right. What about the, uh, the grifter
1: story by Matthew Rosenberg? What are you, what are your thoughts here? Uh, Again, I continue to absolutely love this and, Remember last, when we reviewed the last issue, I said, Chance, Adibi, uh, she's hot. And, uh, you know, I, I, I called it. I said, you know, this, it felt like James Bond that Grifter has to sleep with her and he slept with her. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, he, he's having a little fun and, um, uh, yeah, you know, they're, uh, they, they're doing the nasty, the long con part three. Well, I tell you what, uh, this is uh, the dialogue here. Matthew Rosenberg continues to craft snappy dialogue, great dialogue. He adds more intrigue because it's teased at the beginning that 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 I believe that the organization that six months ago in the flashback from six months ago it it looks as if the I'm guessing it's Leviathan that's a, that attempts to recruit uh, the grifter and attempts to recruit him by telling him to essentially infiltrate, you know, uh, um, uh, Lucius Fox. And so it might be that Grifter is playing more than one side against the other, that he's working for Leviathan. He's working for Lucius Fox. And now he's, you know, he's, he's, (laughs) he's sleeping with whoever he wants to. And, you know, we got, we got, he's, he's wanted for, he's, he's wanted by Mr. Freeze for the, uh, He's, he's wrongfully accused of killing uh, Nora Freeze, Mr. Freeze's uh, uh, girlfriend or uh, beloved. And also he's wanted for the death of Toy Man, who we believe was killed by... Well, we're not sure who killed. We're assuming Leviathan killed Toy Man. So something is up here. And in the meantime, he's like a nonchalant James Bond. We even got a reference to his wild, uh, to his, uh, wild uh, cat days because there's a mention of John Lynch who was, uh that's a reference way back in the day and so you know for i, I got to say man i'm i'm just i'm loving this uh he's he's lying to his boss about sleeping with, with chance uh <laughs> I mean, there's there's again the, the, there's witty dialogue here there's uh you know there's even he even meets up with Bruce Wayne Bruce Wayne is investigating uh, Bruce Wayne is, knows that something is up. Bruce Wayne is a little bit—he's concerned that Lucius Fox has hired uh, uh, Cole Cash, the drifter, to protect him. And Lucius Fox basically says, "You know, I—I I run Wayne Enterprises now. I know what I'm doing." And so he sort of brushes Wayne aside. But Batman himself shows up at the end to to actually help Cole Cash to to help the grifter against being attacked by Black Mask's men because Grifter now is called—he's he, called caused a lot of BS and there's a lot of people out for blood and they want to take Krifter out. And so there's a lot going on behind the scenes here. (laughs) And, you know, Matthew Rosenberg does such a great job about, you know, because we joke about how Grifter is the guy—he's always in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he always seems to attract trouble. Even even when he's in theory supposed to be protecting, he's just supposed to be a bodyguard to Lucius Fox. How does this guy always attract this amount of trouble? There's there's a there's comedy to it, but it's also serious, and and but he's got the humor and the dialogue to go along with it. And, and man, this is just this is an adrenaline rush. This is fun reading. I've loved this from the first from the first chapter all the way to the end of the third, and Batman here doesn't now. Batman's even intrigued, and he wants he's got Batman wanting to protect him now too. So uh, there's a lot there's a lot going on here, and I, I, I I've never been more interested in Leviathan than I am now. You know, I mean Leviathan. What does Leviathan have that you know? Toyman was uh, a de facto member of Checkmate. Toyman was murdered last issue. Leviathan appears to have maybe potentially tried to recruit Grifter at some point. And uh, now with Nora Freeze being killed. I mean, something's going on here. There are so many loose threads. And the one thing I, I, I feel confident on about Matthew Rosenberg, having read his work at Marvel, I'm confident that Matthew Rosenberg's going to pull all this together. And I'm I'm definitely in this for the long haul, all six chapters.
0: Yeah, this is stunningly good the artwork by ryan benjamin is fantastic uh matthew rosenberg probably my favorite grifter writer you know not that i've read every single grifter story but he gets that irreverence so pitch perfect with with grifter but he never that self-deprecation is always omnipresent as well which it needs to be but as the reader of the story you know and you get the sense that Cash is so much smarter than what he puts out there, what he's projecting. Right? He always wants to seem like he's, he's you know, just kind of a, a meathead, you know, just a dumb guy who kind of looks into situations or, or whatnot. But everything is calculated with him, you know, from the, the the face he puts on, the mask that he shows to other people, to the the way he's uh, talking to whoever it is on the other side of the radio. Um so yeah, this this is fantastic. It's it's such a great story. Um and the fact that that Bruce is uh is worried about Lucius hiring Cole and and Lucius pushing back on that, saying, Well, you know, you're not in charge anymore, like like all of it. Uh it, it's it's great. It adds to both the the mystery of the story, because we still don't know quite what's all, all going on, all the pieces haven't been put together yet. Um and so all, all of that all those little details are so additive uh, to what's going on so yeah i'm i'm definitely ready for a uh, an ongoing grifter from matthew rosenberg I would, I would definitely be on board with that so uh all right uh on to the last anthology like i mentioned uh there's a, a second anthology there's so 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 many stories in this um so it's dc's festival of heroes it's celebrating um asian culture i guess it says uh dc's festival of heroes the asian superhero celebration featuring the first appearance of monkey prince who's in the last story which is the long, by far the longest oh. <laughs> story in the whole issue uh, i was like wait it this is still going this is still going uh which is, isn't always the best sign of of uh, a good story if you're wondering why it's still going um but anyway we'll, we'll get there the first story is a uh, speaking of Cassandra Kane, like we just did with uh, when we were talking about the Lady Shiva story, th- this is a story where Cassandra Cain, uh certainly is characterized well and accurately, and it go- kind of illustrates some of those points Rocky was making earlier about her language being movement and whatnot. And it's called Sounds. The story is by Mariko Tamaki. Art is by Marcus To. Colors by Sebastian Chang. Letters by Janice Chang. And uh, I should also mention, in addition to all the stories in this Anthology being about Asian characters, uh, the majority of the, the creators in here are uh, Asian themselves. So I think that's a, a great, great way to celebrate. Um, but I absolutely love this first story. It It's narrated by Cassandra herself. And she's talking about the, the trouble that she has speaking, you know, because she grew up not speaking. She grew up learning the language of motion, like Rocky mentioned earlier. So uh, I thought this was great. Uh, the interaction she has with Oracle, Oracle trying to reach out and establish more of a kind of a vocal relationship with Cassandra and Cassandra sort of falling back into her old habits. But knowing that she needs to break out of them, I uh, thought the art was done very well, uh, also by by Marcus Toe. So um, I think this was probably my favorite story in the book. I, I thought it was done really, really well. So uh, what were your thoughts on this first story, Rock?
1: Uh, I I love this. I love this. Uh full full credit to Marika Tamaki here on this. She nails it. Uh, in fact, this is something that I wish Brian Hill would have done a better job with when uh uh with uh, Cassandra Kane when he was uh at times writing the the outsiders. Uh, and but in any event, uh yeah, this is it, it's so significant here and what the, the way Marika Tamaki sort of brings it out is in a potential love interest for Cassandra Kane. one of the things that was done really well in the original Batgirl series is that Batgirl herself had a crush on a number of, uh, on at least one individual, and she struggled with her language. And she often, and not only that, not only did she struggle with language, but she couldn't read. It was one of the the weaknesses that she had. There's something with her brain. It was almost like she was on the spectrum for autism, where she she could speak the language of motion, but she couldn't read. She was in fact illiterate. Now, she's not illiterate in the story, but she has difficulty with sounds, and it makes it difficult for her to communicate when she, she's trying to express an attraction in this story to an individ- a scientist that she rescued, a Dr. Chin, who she rescues. He's a very good-looking scientist with a good sense of humor, and he, she ends up rescuing him from these thugs and ultimately ends up running into him later on down the down the line and she's immediately attracted to him, but she she doesn't she's not good at expressing herself. she has a difficult time uttering any kind of sound, but she manages to do it uh, at the end when when she essentially goes out and he she retrieves a straw for him out, outside a coffee shop and and uh, she says you're you're welcome to him at the end it's It's a nice little story it 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 fully encapsulates and and gets the essence of Cassandra Kane in a way that is so crucial to understanding the character. The reason why Cassandra Kane is different than just another member of the bat family she's not just she should she's more than just a one dimensional another martial artist in the bat family she's somebody that when you when you were raised only with the language of motion where you where you're not used to expressing yourself through language through the through sounds think about that for a second that is both a fundamental weakness in communicating with people but it gives her a huge edge that she can understand what somebody is saying because of their body language not from what they are saying think of the story potential of that 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 has for stories moving forward that that other than her first series no writer has really effectively went with that as far as it needs to go. I like to see what, I like what Marika Tamaki has done here. Writers have to understand that about Cassandra Cain. That makes her a fundamentally different and more interesting character in my view than any member of the Bat family. And to disclose my bias, she's my favorite DC character, Cassandra Cain. So yeah. Wow. I stay, did,
0: not, did not know that. I She, she, yeah, she's a favorite of mine too. Not my favorite character, but definitely my favorite uh, Batgirl and, yeah, she she's up there for me. Uh, all right, up next is a, a really short story by Min Lee. Art is by Trung Lee Win. Uh, letters by a did a bit of cards it's called Dress Code, and it stars uh, I think it's I think it's pronounced Toy Fam, who is the um, the character from Min Lee's Green Lantern Legacy graphic novel from the DC Young Reader line, and uh, it's basically sort of about Asian heritage more so than maybe any of the other, um, other stories here. It's very, it's very forward that, I mean, the art, I think suits the story. It's got uh, sort of, uh, the color work's got this feel that makes it uh, sort of feel Asian. Um, just this, uh, where everything's sort of yellowish, um, which, which really helps, um, but basically this this boy who's a green lantern is fighting against uh, a yellow lantern and the yellow lantern is taunting him saying nice dress and he's wearing um i think it's called i'm probably mispronouncing it apologies if i am but an uh, <laughs> i uh which <don't> is <laughs> yeah which is basically a traditional vietnamese garb that is worn by both men and women um which is, I'm, I'm sure you've seen them. It's like a long tunic, which is kind of split on the sides. And they're usually worn with trousers. Um, and it, yeah, it can look like a dress, but clearly it's not. And uh, it, it's just a poignant story as the young boy remembers um, a conversation that he had with his grandmother about why she chose to continue to wear her traditional Vietnamese garb, even though she was in the United States and um her, this boy's grandmother says, why fit in when you can stand out? You know, people give me funny looks, but that's great. Like why fit in when you can stand out? And that memory of that conversation with his grandmother gives him the confidence to, uh, to win the fight against our, our Kilo, I think is uh, the character's name, the yellow, yellow lantern. So it was a, it was a nice, fun little story. I enjoyed yeah. it.
1: I, my only complaint about it is one where i I never read that young adult. I have no idea what the Green Lantern is called. You, 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 you said his name is Toy Fam. I, Ty, Ty, I think it's Tai Fam. Yeah, I'm not. I haven't read it either. Oh,
0: um, well, T a-, enough, a i p h a m. The only reason I know uh, is because I looked it up because I I had remembered that there was a an Asian a young Asian boy that was a Green Lantern, but I didn't remember where he was from or whatnot. So right. I did I did look it up, well, and it is so. I've gotten, I've bought most of those young adult books for my daughter, but right. that's one we just haven't gotten a chance to well, read yet. So.
1: Mike, that's my criticism, in the, is that if you want to give exposure to this character, there should be at least a panel that his name is identified. Now, yep, I agree. I, th- there's nowhere anywhere. Who is this kid? What's his real name? What is, what's the grandma's name? I mean, I mean, I mean, just a little bit of uh, like, like I say, I think this is a great story. The whole idea of, you know, he defeats Arkillo and kind of humiliates him. And he makes a passing comment to Arkillo about you look pretty good in green. If you ever change sides, let me know and I'll help you with your uniform designs I mean, design. I mean, he's a smart ass. He's got a sense of humor. He looks good. It, it does have an Asian feel. I think it does credit to the character and what the character stands for. Put the name in the character. I can't believe they wouldn't have the name in the story somewhere. Because guys like me, it's the young adult line is a different line than than a. It's a different kind of sensibility than the mainstream comics. I mean, at least you know you. If I don't know who the character's name is, I mean, because quite frankly, I read advertisements all the ta- time. I, I, you know, it's pretty sad if I have to Google it and it's not even in the story. But I mean, that's again, it's a minor nitpick. Good story, good art. I think it works well. I just, you know, come on, man. Editor, edit, editorial should have caught that in my mind. Yeah,
0: I agree. Uh, next up, we have a, a story that has a couple of Asian characters. These are uh, much more well-established. Uh, it's called Hawk and Kong. Stories by Greg Pak, art by Sumit Kumar. Colors by Ramulo Fajardo Jr. Letters by Steve Wands. So we have uh, Kenan Kong. That's the Kong part of the Hawk and Kong uh who's the new superman of china and then obviously connor hawk you know long standing character who's uh both asian and black and white <laughs> you know oliver queen is his father and his mother was uh asian and black so he's got quite the diverse uh heritage um i think this might be my my least favorite of the the stories i, I think the artist is really spectacular but I didn't really feel like this was uh the characterization of Connor Hawk that I that I n- remember of him. Um and I, I understand why Greg Pox you know kind of had Connor come across the way that he did, because it makes sense for the story, but doesn't necessarily make sense for the character. Connor Hawk was always somebody who was very empathetic. Um, you know, and so so basically the gist of the story is. Connor's on his way to have dinner with his mother and his grandmother and he's supposed to bring the kimchi and on his way there, he uh, he stumbles across some LexCorp giant robots that are causing havoc. Um, but the new Superman is there to sort of save the day because apparently uh, Superman's out of town and asked uh, Kenan Kong to keep an eye on Metropolis for a bit. So uh, Keenan takes it upon himself to defeat these giant robots without worrying that much about civilians or collateral damage, which believes uh, Connor with a bad taste in his mouth, as he has to sort of be sure that n- none of the damage that Keenan Kong is causing is going to harm any civilians. And he breaks his jar of kimchi uh, during this fight and then shows up empty handed to have dinner with his mother and grandmother. But Keenan Kong, having seen that happen actually flies to China and bring this back something called Poi Kai, which I'm not familiar with. And he, he <laughs> yeah. says it's uh it's it's not kimchi, it's even better than Kimchi apparently. And and Connor Hawk's like, Okay, thanks, bye, and takes the jar from him. Um and of course his mother and grandmother are like, Well, why don't you invite him in? And that to me is what Connor Hawk would do. He wouldn't need to be prodded by his mother and his grandmother to, to do this. But again, it makes sense for the story. Um and maybe Connor wasn't really that annoyed by, by Keenan Kong. So I thought it was I thought I was okay. Um it would have been better, I think, had Connor invited him in on his own. That would have been a little more true to the, the character. Um but I don't know. That's just kind of a, a minor nitpick. So I thought it was fine. It was a it was an okay story. Any thoughts yeah. on this one, Rocky?
1: Uh you know what? I love I I really love the era of uh of Kyle Rayner and Connor Hawk, uh when they were there was even a series there of Green Lantern and Green Arrow. I, I love yep. that era of DC comics. I, I got the whole new Superman r- run. Uh these are two great characters. Oh I think it's I think it's a great I I love seeing them together. I, I don't think I've ever seen these two in the same story together. And I think this is no. actually a pretty good combination and I look forward to them, you know, uh, you know having more adventures together. I I I actually forgot what nationality Connor Hawk was. And and even in the narrative it says he's a black Asian. And then he says and then he says, but for these circumstances he's I'm Korean, so I'm not I I'm not exactly sure what the exact I guess maybe he is Korean or he's a black Asian. I'm not sure what Connor Hawk is. I know that his mother is Shadow, right? And his father is Oliver Queen or uh, I, I think, but it, maybe I'll stand to be corrected on that. But I'm pretty sure his mother is Shadow, and his uh, father's Oliver Queen, and his Oliver Queen is never around during his upbringing, and so he's. Uh, it's good to see him back. We, we need to ha- we need to see more of these characters, and we need to see more of these characters in my mind, not just on when we're celebrating Asian heroes. We these are great characters in their own right that deserve more recognition, other than just specialty comics like this. But, you know, I like it. Greg Pak, Greg Pak has, uh, he made a name for himself. Well, Greg Pak is, is, he's a he's a well-seasoned writer. He's written Superman, Action Comics before. He's made a name for himself with New Agents of Atlas. He, he uh, Greg Pak has written for the Asian superhero community, uh, heroes over at Marvel. He uh, created a speculator boom with New Agents of Atlas. And here he is writing this story. And he's good at it. And this doesn't, I like this. This is just a fun story. It's a good story. This isn't, you know that's what I love about this entire collection. This none of I never felt that any of this was really pandering. I thought this was really this was good stories celebrating these characters in their own right that just happen to be Asian. So yeah, I'm and the art by Sumet Kumar was really good. Romula Fajuda Junior is my favorite colorist. He does a great job here too. Pretty good all around.
0: Yeah, just one one thing. Shadow is the I think you're thinking of Amiko. Uh, that's who Shadow is the mother of. Uh, the mother of Connor oh. Hawk's mother's name, named Sandra. And oh. yeah, I guess she's half black, half, half Korean. So when he says he's, you know, black and Asian, right. Uh, Blasian. That's what he said. Yeah. so right. he, Yeah. He, he is a quarter Korean, a quarter black, and then half white from, from that's over. right. Yeah, that's his
1: mother yeah. at the table, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right.
0: Yes. Sonderhawk. So gotcha. Uh all right. Next next story I really don't have much to say about. Uh it's a Damien Wayne story, so it probably doesn't surprise anybody. Uh it's written by Anise Adam and Sari. Art by Sammy basri colors by Sonny Go, letters by Gabriella Downey. Um and basically Damien discovers that the League of Shadows are running a pizza pit, pizza restaurant, and they were gonna kill people by poisoning pizza. And then the poison didn't show up in time, so they just straight up murdered them in the old-fashioned way. And if that makes zero sense to you, then you're right on board with me. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a Damian Wayne story. Um. Definitely my least favorite of the stories in the book. So I don't have much else yeah. to add other than
1: that. I, I agree. It does. It doesn't. Uh. I mean, writer and and Anise Adam Ansari, uh, Sam B- Basri, and the artist. I mean, they're. I mean. It's just a boring story. The art's okay, but it's a really. This is a pointless. This shouldn't even be in here. Uh, I guess Damien is. I guess is. Da, I guess Damien's Asian because his mother is Talia Gaul. I guess. Yeah I, yeah. I. I suppose so. That makes him qualify. I. It's funny. I don't really think of Damien as. Uh, as uh, Asian, but yeah, I guess he is. But this was a waste of pages. Total waste of pages. Ridiculous. I mean, I would have enjoyed it more had this could have been a Super Sons issue. It would have been funnier if uh, John Kent was at least this, you know, was around here. But I guess, you know, John Kent is a little bit too white for the uh, for this story, maybe. I don't know. But this should have been a Super Sons story. I, I don't understand. This was definitely, I consider this, uh, this is, I wouldn't even put this in a young adult. I, I don't know. I, this this yeah. was not my cup of tea. We'll leave it at that and move on.
0: (laughs) Yep. Uh, Next up is masks by Ram V with art by uh, Audrey mock colors by Jordi Belair letters by Tom Napolitano basically tells the story of Shu, Who's a character, uh, one of the, the orphans of um, uh, the Catwoman alley town area of Gotham from the Catwoman story. And uh, she's kind of taken upon herself to take the next step from, from being just uh, kind of a, a helper, for Catwoman, uh, one of her, I don't know, for lack of a better word, street urchin uh, helpers to actually putting on a mask and creating an identity for herself of the Cheshire cat and going in and trying to take a more hands-on approach. And there's a, it's, it's a great scene. It's, it once again, proves the uh, abilities of Ram V as a storyteller when we get uh, Shu and, and Selina Kyle kind of sitting on the ledge of a rooftop with uh, Selina giving her advice on, Uh, how she should be kind of handling herself going forward um, to prevent what what almost happened. She almost got taken out by this group of uh, criminals that she was trying to to take out and, and uh, Selena had to come in and sort of save the day. So um, we expect to see more of Cheshire cat. We get a little editor's note uh, at the end saying, follow Cheshire's cat's adventures in Catwoman. So expect to see her take a, a bigger role in the Catwoman book going forward. So yeah, I thought this one was, uh, was pretty solid.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I was actually, uh, what I found interesting from it was the fact that, I mean, uh, Cheshire, the villain the villain Cheshire's, I believe is her mother. I mean, that was the villain that dropped her off at the church uh, way back in the day. And I think that's what those earlier scenes were, which, which you know, I don't even know, does Cheshire Cat, does, this, does she know that her mother is actually the deadly assassin known as Cheshire? I don't know because she just has images. She remembers seeing that 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 mask that I believe her mother wore, and that was Cheshire. And you know, Cheshire used to be with uh, Arsenal, and they had a they had a daughter together, uh, Leon, who was killed, and and then at some point Cheshire had another offspring, and this is Shu, and I I'm pretty sure that's Cheshire that drops. Uh, young shoe off at the, at at the or at this at the church, and the only memory that she has of, of her mother is this cat is this Cheshire mask, and so I'm wondering if at some point she's going to end up having you know uh, she's going to end up meeting her mother Cheshire. Does she know that? Does does Selena know that? I'm not. Uh, I, I think it's interesting moving forward, uh, and so I uh, I'm curious that maybe. Selena has not sort of brought that up to her. Does Selena even know that there's a connection between her and Cheshire? Does Cheshire know? I think it's a future story potential there, just waiting to be told.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, there's a lot to like here, and uh, uh, again, the fact that we're going to get more of of her and and in the hands of uh, of Rom V, I think that's that's perfect. Uh, all right. Well, uh, up next we have. Um, uh, kind of a, one of the longer stories with what I would consider probably the most traditional art that we see in terms of looking the, the most like DC house style superhero art. Uh, it's called Family Dinner. The stories by Alyssa Wong. The pencils are by Sean Chen. Inks by Norm Ratman. Colors by Rain Barretto, And letters by Ariana Marr. And it's basically uh, the story of the Pierce family. You know, so we have Jessica jefferson pierce otherwise known as black lightning we have jennifer pierce known as lightning uh their older sister anisa pierce thunder and anisa's girlfriend grace choi who i wasn't familiar with and don't know where she has shown up before but Chen does a great job of uh of making her look both beautiful and formidable and everything that goes on in the story is sort of predictable but it doesn't make the story any less uh enjoyable uh and it it this is like <laughs> in terms of both the art like i said and also the story what goes down it's kind of the most superheroic tropey story uh, of course they're out to dinner of course there's disagreements with jefferson's um instincts to be overprotective of his daughter and make sure that she's mm-hmm. safe um and then they're attacked by uh, mammoth and shimmer uh, who are brother and sister and uh, longtime Titan opponents, actually. Um, so it, it all makes sense. And then, of course, the, everything in the end, they they sort of make peace and plan on having a, another dinner the next week, which likely will be uh, ambushed by some other supervillains because that's just <laughs> what happens in uh, in comics. But but it was enjoyable. Uh, like I said, if if not predictable, um, uh, I'm not. I, again, I'm not familiar with this Grace Choi character, but I, I really liked what I saw here. Um, uh, so I don't know if you're more familiar and can educate me at all on who she is, uh, Rocky, but uh, interesting I, character.
1: Sure, yeah. Well, I don't know if I can really educate you more. There's not much to say about her. Uh, I am. I, I collected, I mean, back in the day, The Outsiders, that's from like like pre-New 52, Grace was a well-established character on the on the out in the outsiders an active member of the outsiders and she did have a relationship with, with thunder in the past and so this is just sort of carrying forward but with sort of like new incarnations of the characters what i really well, like about-
0: because uh that that's kind of when i was taking my break
1: from from comics
0: yeah a yeah. couple of year hiatus right before the new 52 so yeah that I makes think- sense what I heard of her
1: for sure yeah. And she was uh, more uh she's more attractive here. I will say this. I mean she was in the fat she's less uh uh forgive me for putting it this way, but she's less butchy a character here. She's a little bit more trim. She uh artistically the the art here by uh Sean Chen and the inks by Norm Rapond Norm Rapond, they do a really good job. Colors by Rain uh Rain Burrito. Uh, it the art here is fantastic and these are attractive looking characters. So this really does a wonderful, good service to these characters and, and yeah, and, and, and their relationship is portrayed in a very healthy, uh, good relationship kind of way. It does. It's not dysfunctional. They, they love and grace and thunder both support each other. Even, uh, even the younger sister, Jennifer Pierce, uh, who is lightning <laughs> and it's, I, I mean, I, I continue to laugh that Black Lightning has children called Thunder and Lightning. I mean, it's it's kind of cliche and tropey, but it it kind of works. And yeah, like I said, it's fairly predictable, but it gets you it gets you accustomed to the characters, so that uh, I can definitely see that if you are looking for inclusion and and this doesn't feel forced, it's not pandering. These are good characters, and you know, Grace wants the you know she stands up for herself she's not a pushover she just she wants to make a good impression on you know her girlfriend's father it's again very very predictable but at the same time this is this does move these characters forward in terms of it establishes who they are it establishes their power set and you get to know them uh as as people and as characters and in terms of their relationships and, and overall it 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 works i i think it, i thought it was pretty good yeah i agree and uh I, we have oh okay, go, ahead. go ahead we we did skip one or maybe you're did going we? to it. the story we skipped a story oh we did what's yeah, in the did. box sorry
0: <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, So that one's so short it's easy to skip uh it's my yeah it's by it's by dustin win he handles the story in art letters are by steve wands it's a sort of another cassandra kane story she's sitting on a bridge um, and she's got some dumplings in a box and there's a character and I I don't know who this character is. I don't a either. Comes up and sits next to her and asks what's in the box. And I don't know the point of this story without context of knowing who that character is. Uh, what I'll say is it, it looks beautiful. It's painted by Dustin Wynn, watercolored, and it looks great. Yeah. I hope no. you'd be able to tell me who that character was.
1: No, I, I was hoping you'd know. I, I thought maybe at first it was Monolith. A Jimmy Palmiati created character, but Monolith doesn't change into a kid, so I don't yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know who this kid is at all. And I, I, I don't even know I mean, we're even reading I mean, you and I, it's not like we're it's not like we're not reading current DC comics. I, this isn't even yep. a kid who's a member of Titans Academy that I'm aware of. So I, I don't know who this kid is, but I'm sure maybe some people who are listening can tell us or if they're watching this on YouTube, they can let us know in the chat or let us know in the comments. But uh, yeah, I don't know who this redheaded kid is, you know, but yeah. Yeah, maybe somebody from,
0: from the Lil' Gotham series that Dustin Wynn did. I, I'm guessing. I Yeah, I don't I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's it's another example of, you know, maybe mentioning the the name of these characters would be a good idea in these short stories when you're (laughs) trying to introduce. I mean, just, you know, just for an editorial note for future editors doing these types of stories. If you're, if you want to introduce these new characters, I mean, how hard is it to throw in a a word balloon with uh, with a name here and there? (laughs) Yep, I agree.
0: Uh, All right. Well, uh, we do have, uh, we mentioned her before, Amiko, son of. uh, our daughter, rather, of, of Oliver Queen and Shadow. Uh, she's in a story called Kawaii Calamity by Sarah Kuhn. Art is by Victoria Ying. Letters are by Ariana Mayer. Um, I'm not a big fan of this art style. She, she basically has a dream. She's fighting some giant Asian animated character, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then maybe it turns out <laughs> it's not so much of a dream because when she wakes up, there's a little stuffed animal of it there yeah. next to her. <laughs> uh, and she picks up the stuffed animal, snuggles it and lays back down to go back to sleep. So I mean, it's a fun story. It's not my preferred art style. Um, but I, I think if you do enjoy this art style, you'll probably think this is a, a fun story. Uh, I, I like Amiko as a character. I think she's, she's got a lot of potential. I'd rather would have seen her taking out some, some criminals or something like that. Although I don't know that this art style lends itself to that. So. It, it it was fine it's another yeah. one that's you know it's not offensive or by any means or or you know terrible but it just you know it's okay
1: well it's funny because it it's sort of like the point of the story is this uh you know uh, amiko is really offended at at this in her dream because you know she says you uh, you think i'm japanese that because i'm japanese i i like anything that's cute and then it ends yeah. with her liking the very thing that's cute, liking the teddy bear that was alive and anthropomorphic in her dream. And it was so. It's kind of it's kind of cute. It's funny, and I I think it 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 serves its purpose. Uh, you know, Sarah Kuhn uh, did a good job with it. The art, I think, really suits the narrative, suits the story. It's 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 well done. It's uh you know again it's. It's we're dev we we're we got an eclectic different types of stories in this uh, celebration of uh, Asian heroes and it's a nice addition to this uh, book, this anthology. Yeah, the next
0: one's called Festival of Heroes, written by Amy Chu, line art by Marcio Takara, color art by Rain Barreto, and letters by Gabriella Downey. This is the one that is sort of hits the nail on the head in terms of like what's going on in the world right now with. Uh, you know the rise in Asian hate crimes and prejudice and whatnot, and we've got uh, Katana, Cyborg, and uh, the Robbie Reyes version of Blue Beetle that are hanging out at this uh, 43rd annual Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Festival, which I, th- I think it's supposed to be in New York City. And the reason they are there is because the organizer of the the festival is basically has received threats recent threats from this group calling themselves the Knights of the Brotherhood. Um, and, and, you know, spewing all kinds of, of hateful rhetoric and garbage, go back to your own country, blah, blah, blah. When, uh, some of these people, they they say, Hey, my family has been here since the 1880s, you know, probably longer than the families of those that are spewing this hate. Um, and so they've asked uh, Cyborg Katana and, and Blue Beetle to come keep an eye on the festival. And what's really cool is there's some cosplay going on, and we get uh, we see gr- somebody dressed up as Grunge, Gold Lantern, uh, Omak, um, the uh, Ryan Choi version of uh, of Adam. So it, it's pretty it's pretty fun. And then of course these hateful jackasses do show to, show up, and they appropriately get their butts handed to them uh which is really interesting so the the whole reason they even have powers is they've come across this chaos stone which apparently is an artifact that has moved throughout time from civilization to civilization feeding on fear and hate to make the wearer more powerful and and once katana destroys this stone the uh the people that are attending the festival kind of take matters in their own hands oh you guys don't have powers you're not so tough now right and uh they kind of kick their butts and it's great to see them all uh, getting their butts handed to them. So um, uh, unfortunately it, it reflects a little too much of reality right now. Uh, I hate that this is going on in the world and it's just, it's ridiculous. I've, I've said it a thousand times. We are all so much more alike than we are different, you know, especially if you want to get scientific and talk about it, you know, on a genetic level, it's like ninety nine point nine 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 percent that we're all the same, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, picking on somebody cause of the way they look or, or the way they sound or the way they dress is just asinine. Um, so, uh, I did enjoy the story, but again, I, th- the bad part of it is that it's even necessary, um, or that, that we're even reminded this is going on in the real world right now. Uh, and of course, Batman, Superman, and the Yara floor version of Wonder Woman do show up right at the end when, uh, our heroes are sort of getting their rewards, uh for defending the festival by by being able to sample 23 different ethnic uh ethnic cuisines at the festival of course uh the the trinity show up at, at the perfect time are those dumplings can we get in on some of that food so yeah it's pretty it's pretty funny uh cyborgs like hey you you all weren't even here for the big fight so good good point cyborg good on you so uh
1: yeah. any thoughts about this this story uh- rocky I was surprised to see somebody dress up in this story as Gold Lantern because Gold Lantern doesn't exist until the 31st century. So I think that's a minor yeah. that's a minor editorial error, but I don't think anybody yeah. would know what that that these Gold Lantern if because if they you know because that 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 would be news to me. But hey, you know, uh, if I didn't know better, I thought Bendis wrote the story, but that I that that's a bad joke. But no, uh, Amy Chu wrote this story, and I thought she did a good job. I will say that at one point Katana says something that. Had absolutely nothing to do with the narrative that I, that was out of place, and I'm going to just say it out loud. She says, she says to the brotherhood, she says, "You sophomore, your sophomoric attempts to hyper hypersexualize me and my Asian sisters are pathetic at best." I would only point out that at no point in the entire story did the brotherhood say anything about any woman or any Asian girl in the entire story, so that was completely well, out of the blue. I, mean, I the don't one know.
0: Guy, the one guy does say, "Hey, geisha girl, want to give us a dance?" <laughs> well, so I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's I, like I guess it, it, you throw the word "lap" in front of "dance" there, and it would kind of be appropriate. But yeah, I get, I get, I get what you're saying. I, I think she's Amy Chu's trying to. You know, address that part of what's been going on in in society lately, but yeah.
1: obviously but I mean, it's
0: a peak comic, so you can't.
1: Yeah, you know, no. you don't
0: want the this brotherhood to be over the top creepy. Yeah.
1: And I, I I look, I get it, uh, and I I probably have too much of a sense of humor about this sort of thing, but you know, Katana, I think is this she's this gorgeous superheroine. She's wearing these super tight clothing. She's, she's a walking hypersexual creature, like all female superheroes are. So it's like, well, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, the brotherhood are jerks because they're fascists. I get it. Uh, but I, I couldn't help but chuckle when she said that She's sort of like, uh, you know, sort of like taunting them on. And of course they, uh, because they're they're bigots and they're 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 hateful and like you said this this hits very close to home in terms of what we're experiencing in society and so it's nice to see that uh, they get their come up in 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 this story and that it has a happy ending and uh, yeah and the other thing is you know
0: Katana she's she's got a katana and she wears a tight black leather you know skin tight black leather outfit. <laughs> Very dominatrix when you think about it. So yeah, you're are right. <laughs> she might just be speaking from past experience of how people see her. So yeah. it's interesting. Fine. All right. One more? Uh, uh two more, I think. More. Uh first up is a Ryan Choi story. Right uh, from uh Porn Sick with art by Alexander Temafengi, Ramulo Faro. Junior on colors and Adida Bitacar on letters. Uh, Pizza Shote and Tefengi are they're the ones that just last week had the uh, the Good Asian released uh, on Wednesday, which was a great start to uh, a period crime Noir story uh, about uh, one of the first Asian detectives in the United States from uh, from Hawaii. So I do recommend that if, it, if anybody uh, hasn't been reading or picking it up. So basically they're telling the story of of Ryan Choi, who is helping out. Um, somebody who's uh, an Asian gentleman who's in the hospital. Somehow there's some sort of extraterrestrial um, future uh, infection from the future. Di Perfecta, it's called. Uh, they shot a bomb through time that's released a quantum scopic bacteria to booby trap a person's <laughs> DNA all to make their descendants Di Perfecta's greatest enemy. Uh, so it, it's an interesting story, uh, a little hard to follow. I think the art does work well. So does the, the colors, um, you know, removed for her to junior. So no, no surprise there, but where the story really matters is in the last few panels where Bruce Wayne shows up and Ryan choice talking to him about, you know, you're a billionaire, you know, you can do more, everybody can pitch in and do more. Um, just like everybody in this neighborhood is uh, banded together when people heard that uh, the neighborhood was sick. So they showed up for each other. They put together collections. Everybody was pitching in. Um, and, and Bruce is like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, a billionaire. You're a genius. Tell me how we help where we start. It's a, uh, it's a good reminder that we don't all have to be billionaires um, because these people were there helping each other even before Bruce Wayne showed up with his money. Uh, just looking out for your neighbor is uh, you know, something we can all do regardless of how big our bank account is. So, uh, I thought it was an okay story and it's another one that doesn't really stand out. Um, but uh, it does have a good message at the end.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I was actually, I, I want to give uh porn, porn sack, um, <laughs> really, pitch-a-shout. yeah, pitch-a-shout. <laughs> uh, I want to give him some credit. I actually think that the plot line was actually pretty good i i could i would love to see a full plot line on that the whole idea of shooting a virus backward in time to basically uh compromise a person's uh ancestry so that they're you know shooting a virus back in time to infect some of their uh you know uh their great 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 grandmother so that eventually in the present it will it will you know compromise uh, their descendants is actually a pretty inspired way to defeat your enemy. And so I thought that was quite uh, that this Difecta virus or whatever they're doing, this far flung, a artificial intelligence is actually a, I think that's a future potential story that that has uh, that uh, I would have expected to have seen in a future state story, but I I like it. And you know, it's always good to see Ryan Choi. I I liked him since uh, I remember Gail Simone wrote his first series there, I thought it was uh, quite good. It's nice to see he's looking better. I remember when he got killed by death stroke. so he, he's looking much better than the last time I recall reading about him because I I haven't really read a lot of Brian Choi, so no, it's it's good, and uh, I like I like the name Perceptible is a good name for the for the narrative. Because it's, it's perceptible because it's, it's always those things that we, we choose not to see that are right in front of us that can sometimes harm others. And that's sort of a, a good sort of a metaphor for, for racism and prejudice and, and those things that can harm us. And, and it's about acknowledging those things and uh, acknowledgement is the first step to do something about it. So again, it, it really fits the anthology well. Yeah. And then last
0: up, we have The Monkey Prince Hates Superheroes by writer Jean Luen Yang. Art is by Bernard Chang. Colors are by Sebastian Chang, Janice Chang on letters. Um, and yeah, this monkey prince, monkey boy slash character, whoever. <laughs> I don't know. This story just kind of felt like it went on way too long. Like, it, I just felt like, is it over yet? Is it over yet? And Jean Luen Yang, normally, I'm a huge fan of him. Um So I don't know, maybe, maybe it it had to do with the length of the story. Like it wasn't quite long enough to make it a a full, you know, feature where you could pace it and plot it out like you would want, but it was, he got more real estate than anybody else. So, you know, he did have to fill those pages. So I I, I don't know. I mean, it's Bernard Chang art. So the art's really good. And we, it does end with a blurb, the adventures of the monkey prince continue later this year. Um, but i got to say even though it's jean Luen yang based on this story i wouldn't be picking up a, a monkey prince title it just um character didn't really come across as very likable either so again this one was just only okay for me uh i don't know what are your thoughts rocky uh
1: i uh, it's one of those things where i hesitate to say what i'm i'm thinking but i'll say it anyway and i, I say this with great respect but how is this not a horrible portrayal of the Japanese. I mean, if this was a, if, if the monkey prince was actually a black person, can you imagine if he was actually a black person and they called him monkey prince? I mean, mean, the backlash that you'd get. No, seriously. Like, and, and, and now, now we have a Japanese character, monkey prince. I think this is insulting. And, I really do now, but of course, it's not my. I'm not one of these guys. Look, I'm not gonna virt, I'm not gonna like virtue signal here. Okay, I'm not offended, and nobody should be offended. It's just a character that changes into a monkey prince, whatever. Okay, I, I'm just saying that I'm actually shocked in our woke culture that they actually approved this horrendous idea for a character. This is a stupid character to me. There's nothing. He has a jingu bang as a weapon. He uh when fear gets the best of him, he turns back into human form and he turns back into a Japanese person. So what is that saying about, I, I don't know. This is cliche. There's also another character here that I think is right. Like that, that rubs me the wrong way called the Sh- the shifer piggy. He, he, his, his mentor is actually looks like a pig and he's, it's called a, a Sh- shifer piggy. And, and then he exercises demons. This is, I, I don't know. So, so one Japanese character turns into a pig and the other one turns into a monkey? I don't know how this is. <laughs> I can't believe that this is something that would be approved by editorial. I'm, I'm stunned. I'm totally stunned. Not, no, again, I guess we got Gorilla Grodd, but I mean, a Gorilla, I, I don't know. I just, this whole thing. And then he, why does he hate superheroes? That, that it's a stupid title? Why do, just because of the, you know, the, I mean, there's, there's a one minor incident. Uh, there's no real reason for him to hate superheroes, but it just seems he's friends with Billy Batson. That's why Shazam was in here, uh, but um, and he ends up saving Sav- or Savannah, who thought he had captured Shazam, had actually captured the Monkey Prince, who was disguised as Shazam. Apparently, um, like yeah, honestly, apparently he
0: can shape shift or
1: something. I yeah. I I don't even know what his skill set is, but like you, I found him annoying, really annoying. I, I'm not sure why we're supposed to like this guy. I'm, I, I was actually reluctant to like the character because I'm waiting for somebody to complain that it's racist. You know, I don't think, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not virtue posturing, but we live in such politically sensitive times. I can't believe they would create this character that looks ridiculous, sounds ridiculous, has ridiculous motivations and i just think i'm just i'm just so surprised that that dc would create this character this is such a ridiculous character i i just i mean and then his mentor is is a pig shifer piggy and 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 monkey prince are you kidding me dc this is i'm sorry it's right there it's right there on
0: the front cover featuring the first appearance of the monkey prince so i think you said i think you said japanese i think this is actually ch- chinese oh, I, I, um, I apologize chinese, yeah yes. chinese chinese culture and obviously Jean Jean the Yang knows uh much about that and i do know that in in the chinese culture i don't know a lot about it but i do know that they they do have gods based on animals and uh, the monkey prince even says here that shifu piggy keeps a Shifu pigsy keeps trying to get me to call some Chinese monkey god. I don't even remember my dad, um, uh. so I don't know if it has to do with you, you know these gods. These and maybe that's part of why it links in with Shazam, because uh, Shazam getting his powers from you know uh, myth- mythology, Greek mythology. Maybe this is uh, you know characters getting their power from Chinese mythology, where the gods are based on animals like monkeys and oxen and pigs. Like you're the pig and
1: you're the dog and all that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I get, but I totally get your point Um, regardless of that. And whether some people find it offensive or not, the character is just not like, just not likable. Um, So why would I want to, I mean, at the end, the last line of the book superheroes suck. Like why do I want to read about this angry Chinese guy? Like, no, I don't. Yeah, it's not exactly portraying them in the in the best light. So uh, I, I sort of agree, but uh, you know I defer to people of the, of that um, you know ethnicity. They're gonna you know know much more about it than than I do. I don't know much about Asian culture. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I, I did find it interesting. I'm I mean, first of all I love this that they're celebrating Asian heritage and, and all these Asian characters. I love the fact that the vast majority of the creators in the book. our our Asian character, our Asian creators rather. Um, I do find it a bit surprising that Jim Lee just did the cover. Like I would have expected, you know, you want to talk about an Asian creator who's really um, kind of a a role model for uh, people of those ethnicities. Like you would have thought he would have had a a bigger role other than just doing the cover. Um, Same thing with um, Art Germ. Although I I don't know that I've ever seen Stanley Luau ever do anything other than covers I don't even know if he could do uh interior work but his cover is awesome uh, that's the cover I plan on picking up with um Cassandra Kane on it so that's uh, done really well and even the editor on this book um Jessica Chen uh she's obviously of Asian descent as well and and does uh ha- did an incredible job putting all this talent together and putting these stories together I, I can't imagine I mean it's a hundred page giant that is a huge book to wrangle all the, the creators and all the deadlines and all the, you know, different aspects of, of what you have to do to put a book like that together. So uh, I did want to mention her name as well, because she deserves all the credit in the world. Um, so yeah, that, that does it. We're we're coming up on two hours here because we had so many books to talk about. Uh, overall, pretty solid week from, uh, from DC. I think uh, the highlights being this, this uh, festival of, uh of Asian superheroes, um I, I, along with Joker, I thought was uh was done really, really well. Intriguing start to uh the Justice League last ride and of course Batman Urban Legends. The Zdarsky story and the um, Matthew Rosenberg story continue to be uh be highlights for sure. So overall a pretty pretty solid week. What do you think, Rocky?
1: Yeah, I, I think it was a pretty solid week too. Again, it's uh you know probably if I had to pick one that I uh that I enjoyed the most. It was probably, uh, both Rorschach and the Joker. I enjoyed the most. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, anything you got coming up this week that you want to tease? Well, I I've, I've said the same thing for the last two weeks. I'm still working on my, (laughs) uh, I got like a top, top 50, but I now I've, I've, I've expanded it. So I just got to get my top 50 sentimental, my top 50 for, uh, 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 value top 50 for uh i might have a top 150 at this point but uh yeah i'll I'll keep plugging away at that great (laughs) what
0: about about yourself uh uh, yeah over on the podcast uh the kickstarter spotlight coming up this wednesday tomorrow is um the art book for dead eyes by jerry dugan the art book obviously by uh the artistic partner on the the dead eye series which is uh, the legendary john mccray always great to talk to john he's been on the podcast before he is such a fun guy to talk to he has uh, such a different perspective on things um and so uh, he joins me and we we have a nice chat about not only uh, the art book for dead eyes but he's doing the swamp thing the rom v swamp thing series that's uh, coming out right now currently from dc that we've been talking about uh mike perkins the artist needed a break uh for the month of june so Uh, John stepped in and got to draw a Swamp Thing story where Constantine shows up, two of his uh, favorite characters, and we talk about that as well. So that's coming up. And then uh, I had mentioned last week about having Matt Kent on our Bad Idea takeover for Sunday to talk about Walesville. Well, uh, Matt's schedule did not allow him to come on last week, but he will be on this coming Sunday uh, to talk about Walesville and NEX, so we got that coming up as well. So uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. As always, we uh, we really appreciate the support. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure you click that subscribe button uh, for the Comic Boom uh, channel, so you can uh, be made aware whenever Rocky has uh, new content coming up. Hit that notification bell, and you'll be notified whenever he gets uh, new episodes up. Uh, and we always appreciate comments in the in the section. As well as likes, which you know help out views and all that. Uh, so if you're listening to the podcast version, and you always listen to the podcast version, go over and su- to YouTube and subscribe anyway. It doesn't cost you anything, but maybe you know three or four seconds. Uh, Rocky really appreciate it. And if you are checking us out on YouTube, looking at our beautiful faces, and you're curious about the other content that we put out, you can find the comic source on uh, any podcast platform. So we, uh, as I said, we always pr- appreciate the support. Uh, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. We know you love getting this uh, these in-depth DC reviews on the, the same day that they are uh, released to everybody. And uh, don't forget that on Wednesdays we do a spoiler-free look at other books that are coming out for the week that you may want to be on the lookout for. So uh, that's going to do it, guys. We will talk to you next time. See you later.